The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests, and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. Kansas City, American 1855. Uh, we need to declare an emergency. Just uh, sounds like we had a bird strike. And a uh, loss of airspeed indicator. American 1855, the uh, incident airport is at 3 to maybe 4 o'clock at about 8 miles. Uh, Insight. American American Around for uh, run one right and run a checklist. We got uh, about 100, 100 minutes of uh, fuel. And uh, what was the next question? No hazmat and 139 souls on board. We're going to head for. One right and uh, plan on landing. Check this out complete. Best. Best. We'll make it better. We'll make it better. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast that explores the many pathways to an aviation profession, the challenges that a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, a professional airline pilot currently flying for a U.S. legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. Welcome aboard Flight 122 of the Squawk Ident podcast, recorded on the 21st of November, 2022, from the Aviator Sound Studios from somewhere in Southern California. On today's flight, we are joined by an aviator whose parents exposed him to aviation at the tender age of five years old. That is when he was able to witness the awesome display of air power by the U.S. Navy Blue Angels F-4 Phantom Team. In his teen years, he joined the Civil Air Patrol, took high school classes on aviation, and grew his addiction of aviation in the process. As flight training costs started to skyrocket, his aviation passion was set aside in order to pay the bills within the emerging computer technology market. He later started his own computer software company that took off. Despite his financial success in tech, his addiction to aviation never subsided. Fast forward to today, his winding journey has led him to the present day where he flies an Embraer 175 for Sam Piper Airlines, an alias to his employer, an American flag-yielding, wholly-owned regional airline. We are honored to have him as our featured guest today. He is Mr. Mike Earhart. We will also discuss $100,000 signing bonuses, botched drug tests, the Boeing 737 versus Grey Goose event, and where in the world is Captain Keith? So stick with us as we cover all this and more on this, the 122nd episode of the Squawk Ident Podcast. Joining us today is an exceptional aviator and Squawk Ident co-host. He is a U.S. Navy Reserve's Chief Information Systems Technician, a certified flight instructor, and an Embraer 175 pilot for Sandpiper Regional, the alias to one of our legacy airlines' wholly owned regional airlines. Joining us from his home in Temecula, California where he has been moving furniture 
after a four-day trip. Help me in welcoming to the show, Mr. Alex D. Alex, how you doing? I'm exhausted, to say the least. Um, got done with the four-day yesterday, and uh, of course, the go-home day always seems to be like a nightmare. You don't put that out in the world, and uh, yet it still was a nightmare getting home yesterday. Um, but I'm home. I had to move some furniture around today, and uh, a little late getting on the podcast, but I'm here. I'm, I'm here. I'm excited that uh, we finally got Mike on the show. Yeah, you know, and uh, you know, it wasn't me that was late this time. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I apologize. I was only like 15 minutes late, but I, I was able to get the uh, the bed moved out of one room and into another, and both of them set up and everything good. Once we get done recording, I gotta obviously go make the beds because you know that's what you do. Yeah, always but, make your bed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here, uh, and we'll talk a little bit uh, about your flying that you've been up to. Uh, quite a bit of flying that we've all been doing. It's been kind of crazy to try to keep up with it all, but that is the beginning of the holiday season. Well, also joining us today is another exceptional aviator and squawket and co-host. He is an OSU Pistol Pete loving grad, an ASL linguist, the creator and director of the Aviation Business Information Board on Facebook, a cadet pilot mentor, a new dad, and a DFW Airbus pilot at Legacy Airlines. From his podcast studio, where he is juggling diapers, holiday flight schedules, and mentoring, should I say poisoning, young cadets for the Legacy Airlines cadet program. From somewhere in Roanoke, Texas, please help us in welcoming to the show, Mr. Kyle J. Kyle, how you doing? Doing great, Tony, how about yourself? Uh, you know, keeping busy, dealing with life. What <laughs> What more can I say? <laughs> As we all are, right? Yeah. Yep, just been uh, been working, been uh, watching the little one grow up, uh, getting ready for the holidays coming up, and keeping up with our uh, uh, cadet uh, mentees and watching their journey uh, in aviation. Yeah, well, with all the hiring that Legacy Airlines has been doing and, and also Sandpiper and, and all the other wholly owns, um, it's been really a busy thing. The, the training department, the HR department, the cadet program, the mentors, um, it, it's been crazy. And I feel like we are absolutely, this industry is just bulging and you know the pressure is rising and this pressure cooker is on fire. And I just pray that it continues to be contained and nothing major happens. Um, you know, we've talked about this many times before on the podcast where as flight schedules get more hectic, the holiday seasons come, stress levels go up, uh, and that really does play a huge toll on not just pilots, but everyone involved in the industry. So, you know, I'm very grateful and thankful that we have you doing what you do and mentoring um, all the young pilots that out there that are just getting started getting their feet wet in the industry so thank you yep no problem and it's going to be pilots that uh, we're all going to be flying with someday so trying to uh point them in the right direction and uh, uh keep them uh on the right track to get here as quick as possible so everybody needs the help right now yeah yeah i too have been uh crazy busy but i haven't been flying that much and I know you guys know because we've been going back and forth, but you know it's been 
almost three, well, more than three weeks since the last podcast. And the reason for that was that I was selected to be on a jury on a criminal trial in um, San Bernardino County. And I ended up as the jury foreman. <laughs> I go, oh, you're a, you're a pilot. Oh, you should be the foreman. Um, it actually was a, a very interesting case. At first, I thought, man, I really don't want to be here. Um, and the judge expressed it very clearly. He's like, if anyone here uh, feels like they actually want to be here, we're going to question that because nobody should want to be here. Nobody wants to do jury duty. <laughs> um, and He's so not wrong. Yeah, right. he, he was absolutely right. And the lawyers were like, do you want to be here today? And the judge goes, don't ask him that. <laughs> None of them want to be <laughs> here. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. No one wants to be at jury duty, but. You know, at the end of it, though, after, after four weeks of trial, um, I really found it to be one of those events in your life that, you know, you've done it at least once. Um, I found it very interesting. And yes, there was an airport involved. They actually what? had evidence presented for a very small, untowered GA airport. And here I am listening to the, the lawyers give it descriptions. And they had the, the investigator for the DA give descriptions of the airport. And I'm sitting there nodding my head. Can't say anything as a juror. And just like, nope, nope, that's not right. <laughs> that's not right. I'm thinking, maybe I should start a uh, consulting company that gives evidence of like just facts about airports and rotating beacons and and what's visible and you know what kind of fence barriers are around these airports and and how is it monitored and <laughs> because they were like doing their best but I'm like yeah it's not really accurate um so but anyway it was an interesting trial and that's a whole other topic of discussion but i did get back to flying this was my first trip i just got back last night like a little bit after midnight um and uh yeah, it was it was uh, like riding a bike. It felt really good. And uh, out of the four legs, I got two landings in. And I should have put money down because one was better than the other. And <laughs> even the captain looked at me. He's like, when's the last time you flew? <laughs> I was like, well, you know, <laughs> blind squirrel gets the nut once in a while, right? So... Yeah, it's been it's been fun uh, getting back to it, and now I'm looking at a very very busy schedule in the next four weeks. So, yeah, bear with us, ladies and gentlemen. The holiday season is a coming. Well, uh, we're also all very excited because, as we mentioned in today's opener, we have on the show a remarkable aviator that has found a way to make his passion for aviation and an aviation career a reality. Despite the many financial hurdles that can limit many aspiring pilots out there, he's here to share it all with us, his journey that led him to a promising airline career. So please help us in welcoming to the Squawk Out Podcast, Mr. Mike Earhart. Mike? Hey, thanks. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, you, you're making me blush over here. You're making this sound so, uh, <laughs> so important. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. No, it's, it's an absolute pleasure. You know, um, Alex, uh, you and I and Alex sat down for some Mexican uh -huh. food. I forget what episode that was. We kind of talked about it. We recorded a little um, on the spot. Alex is typing away feverishly. His thumbs are smoking on fire right now. I'm trying to go back and get that episode. But we talked about, you know, having you on the show. And that's when we met for the first time. Yeah. And you, you and Alex were in training together. It seems like a lifetime ago. Yeah. It, did Jesus your training? Right. It would have been what June or even May. It was just before Sims. It was the when we had the like 
three or four days off before Sims. Right, right. God, it seems like a whole di- whole different world now. Yeah, and it's it's yeah. funny that you say that because this career, when you're starting out, and correct me if you feel differently, when you're starting out, regardless of your age, which is another topic that we're going to talk about here in a little bit, but regardless of your age, when you're starting out, it's all so fresh. It's all so new. Even if you have a very long history in GA, once you get into the airline environment, you're learning so many new things. You're learning about standard operating procedures or SOPs. You're learning about the the regulations associated with airlines and how they're different from, say, a Part 91 operation. And you're learning about all the nuances of running on a schedule like that. And it's almost like time flies faster and faster and faster. And you look back and go, I just, you know, want to get in my 172 and putz around the pattern a few times because, <laughs> you know, so. No, you don't. You can't fly a 172. <laughs> <laughs> I was there. You have some evidence of that, don't you, Alex? <clears throat> yeah, I think 15 years uh, between uh, handling uh, the yoke of a 172 gives me a very good excuse to not be able to uh, flare appropriately, mister. <laughs> hey, I didn't say anything about your flying. You could you could fly perfectly fine. <laughs> Landing? Yeah, I should have put money on it. Yeah, you should have. Hey, but my second one different. was good. Where, yeah. Alex? Where was the uh, the fifty forty thirty call out? You gotta yeah you gotta, no right. Oh, that's yeah. what I forgot to do for him. He's just that's so it. used to that. Oh, and and he also didn't hear the airplane telling him that he's a retard when he was ready to land. So that <laughs> yeah. was probably yeah. why he flared at thirty feet. Yeah, it wasn't thirty. <laughs> Exaggerating. It was like four. <laughs> it's the one seventy two equivalent of thirty feet. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, you're right. Well, we have an exciting show today. We're going to talk. We're going to we're going to get into your journey, Mike. Um, and I just wanted to get everyone introduced, get the show rolling, because I wanted to catch up with someone we haven't seen, and it feels like a year. Kyle, where have you been, man? <laughs> uh, flying and uh, uh, being a dad and uh, watching our cadets uh, grow grow and uh, succeed and uh, they're in all sorts of different uh, parts of the aviation community right now uh, my uh, uh, youngest one as I call it uh, just finished CFI and uh, have them all over from Alaska flying Beach 99 I think it's Beach 99 to right seat of uh, um, Beach Jet right seat of a Challenger 604 instructing uh, they're just trying to get all their time as quickly as possible uh, to get on with uh, one of our holy owned regionals. Yeah, and so this cadet program, just for those that may have not been listening to our podcast for a very long period of time, or maybe you're new to the podcast, um, the cadet program is a program that Legacy Airlines and also their holy owns have versions of, and it's a way to get the help to once you're accepted into this program to get the counseling get the resources for an expedited way to build time to get your education to get your certifications so that you can get a job in a 121 operation as soon as possible and the cadet program if accepted to these programs it really does have 
just a multitude of resources. One of those resources is what you do. You are a pilot mentor. How often do you speak with these cadets, as, as we call them? Well, I, I try talking to my cadets when they're first starting out with all their primary training at least once a week. Shoot everybody text messages, just making sure that uh, they're on the right track. If they had any issues with instructors, airplanes, check rides, uh, finding a DPE, which has been uh, we've had some issues with that here the last within the last year. But uh, just making sure they're on the right track to succeed. Um, and uh, it's uh, and as they've been getting their CFIs and having a real job, I'll probably check in with them once every two weeks and just seeing how they're doing. Um, and go from there. Like I said, they're all over the place. So, uh, uh, the, my graduate cadets have already, uh, they're almost about to hit 1500 hours. So their big, uh, biggest, uh, decision right now is what, uh, wholly owned regional they want to go to. Um, and with everybody backed up with training, it's going to, uh, looks like it's going to be a little longer than expected, but that's yeah. okay. Um, uh, they have jobs right now. They're making some money and uh they're sitting in a good spot right now for uh one of our regionals yeah now now the cadet program is hard to get into let's let's not mince words uh i've spoken with plenty of uh potential uh you know pilots and flight attendants as well there's a lot of flight attendants over here at legacy airlines that have been flying as a flight attendant for years and starting to maybe like somebody they know or, or a pilot that they've met has said, Hey, I'll take you up in a, in a GA airplane. And they go up and they start taking their private pilot license ratings. They have their log books and they're studying and they like to come up to the flight deck whenever possible and, and just like look around and you can tell right away their interest um, and their passion. It's very visible because they actually care versus the flight attendants that come in the flight deck and they're like, they they just want to get out of there as soon as possible, so they the, go back. The and, number one, the number one thing, Tony, that we see for for the cadet program, what scares a lot of people away is the cost. Um, and a lot of people don't have that type of money to be putting down for flight training uh, when nothing's guaranteed at the end of the day. So it's it's a lot of money. However, the good outweighs the bad uh, over the course of your career at a uh, at an airline going up the rankings uh, to repay back all that. But uh, with the cadet program, um, we uh, we help that individual uh, get through flight training. We help pay for the loans, uh, help co-sign the loans, and then we uh, point them in the right direction. And after they uh, get all the ratings and their CFIs and uh, being able to keep moving up the chain and eventually uh, show up to uh, eventually come to the uh, legacy carrier. Yeah. Now the, so it's, it's a great, it's a great program. And, and that's, that's the thing. It's a fantastic program. A lot of people want to get in. Last time we spoke with, uh, I believe it was Jennifer uh, Bloom. Yes. Who, who told us all about the program. She's a recruiter. Um, she told us they had thousands and thousands of applications and they only select so many because there's only so many slots available. Um, and the big portion of that selection process is they want to see that the cadet or the potential cadet has a passion, a true passion or true dedication. And they're not just like, well, yeah, man, I just want to fly. My dad used to fly and whatever. Um, so what are other 
maybe a selling points that you can give us that could help someone who would like to get in the program? What's the best thing that they can do to really sell themselves for the program? Well, the biggest thing, like you said, Tony's, uh, the, the willingness to come and, uh, you, you want to differ yourself from others. Um, we, we've seen at interviews, a lot of these could, uh, newer cadets when they interview, they don't, they're not as serious as you would think. Cause when they, when they come in and they interview, you actually come in in the schoolhouse and you interview, um, you got to think we got a lot of kids out of high school to, you know, just finish up college with another degree that, uh, um, not dressed uh, for the occasion. This, this it's an interview. It's you, if you're not wearing a suit, you're not coming prepared with the questions. Um, it, uh, we're not going to take you serious. But uh, um, that and uh, the the other th- thing I'd like to mention is the having a resume. Uh, a lot of kids um, will just throw something together. They don't look through it very thorough. Um, just having that resume. Uh, to look look at and uh just uh they want they want somebody that's not only interested in it but it's uh dedicated uh to the program because it's a it's a fire hose training you're you're starting out day one with zero time and they want you to have your cfi within a year and a half um which is if you're studying every day uh flying two three days a week it's uh, easy to do um However, um, it's, it's not a, we're not holding your hand during training. You, you got to want to do it. You got to want to finish it. Um, uh, yes, a, a test and uh, reading and all that for most people, it's uh, not as fun. However, um, uh, just getting all that knocked out and uh, start starting to fly. That's where all the fun comes in, but everybody had to do it. So, yeah. Um, just the biggest thing is going to be the willingness and, uh, uh, dedication and just showing that, uh, you want to be there. Yeah. And then if you have any, uh, uh, to stand out from other, uh, cadet, uh, uh, interviews, um, you know, if you have a, uh, a hobby, they, they want to also see that you're, uh, you have a life outside of flying, um, uh, uh, Eagle scout or, um, some sort of, uh, um, extracurricular activities that uh, you, you have had uh, just shows you that you're a well-rounded human being. Yeah. Yeah. And, and being members of organizations out there, um, you know, OBAP, women in aviation, whatever, whatever you relate to, if you just join, join online, um, go to a, go to a, a conference or go to an event, be a member. And that, truly i believe also helps that extracurricular you're not just showing up to the airport doing flying your flight time and you look at your logbook and go look i have my i have my time in my logbook that that qualifies me well yeah that qualifies you that doesn't represent you that doesn't set you apart we want to see those like we've said it here a million times on the show we want to see those bullet points on the resume the flight time is is the minimum the the flight time is just a, a meter to do you qualify. Now we want to see all the little bullet points, all the little organizations, all the things you've done that set you apart and make you unique because we want to hire unique people um, that have a passion for this. We mentioned earlier uh, the episode where we had a cadet recruiter and yourself uh, was on the show and we had uh, two uh, cadets on the show. 
as well. Uh, that was a flight. What was that? 66. Uh, Rona, six minute flights and the cadet program. That's when we had Jennifer Bloom. We had Travis and we had William on the show. Uh, it was your second time being on our show as well. Yes. Have you kept up with Travis and William? Uh, have they been accepted into oh, the yeah. program? Oh uh, yeah. They've, uh, they're all finished. Both of them are finished. Uh, Travis is, uh, down in Florida, Tampa area, I believe he's, uh, instructing for a, uh, school down there and he's flying a uh, right seat in a uh, beach jet right now. He's, oh, cool. Uh, he said, uh, he's out flying his CFI stuff. He does a lot of, uh, I guess they do a lot of New York turns. So he's flying about 90 hours a month in that beach jet, which is remarkable for any sort of private 135 flying. That's a lot of flying. And then, uh, uh, let's see. And then uh, the other one, he is CFIing in William. He is CFIing in Charleston. And he's talking about uh, going into the Navy. It was the last time I was talking to him. Nice. Getting a uh, Navy slot, uh, I think, for a, a Navy reserve unit. Mm-hmm. I guess they still call him, call him a guard unit for uh, the Navy. But uh, it's a good man uh, right where, there. Chief that's the where, Navy. I like that's him. where he's looking at right now. So uh, last I talked to him, they're both, both of them are flying a lot and trying to get their flight time and get over here. Yeah. See, we all have these unique journeys on how we got where we where we ended up. Um, and for most of us, the journey continues on until the day they put us in the ground in a wood box. Uh, a pilot with wings is always a pilot with wings, um, regardless of your background and your history. And it's so exciting to hear the success and this time building availabilities. I mean, a lot of us, a lot of the the pilots, the senior pilots that I've flown with that haven't been in any kind of GA flying for 20, 30 years, they really, they ask me questions. They're like, oh, well, do you know, are they still, how are they time building? They're not flying checks around anymore. They're not flying newspapers around anymore. How do you do it? And that's what's exciting. And we're going to hear about Mike's journey. Mike's journey is very unique as well. Uh, And let's get into that. So, Mike, just again, I want to say thank you for being on the show. Um, I had really enjoyed uh, it before the show. We we had a, a little bit of time to talk about your journey, and it's very interesting. Um, a lot of, I guess, the main question for someone who's changing careers, as did I, is that how do you do this at an older age? Is it too late if you don't jump in this right out of high school or right out of college? Is it too late? Because it's a timed career at 65, at least right now, at the age of 65, the FAA has determined that you must retire out of 121. You cannot fly an airline after the age of 65. So it sometimes it pushes people away from potentially pursuing this career. But your career started really at the age of five. Tell me about that <laughs> first experience. At watching the Blue Angels flying the F four Phantom. Yeah, you're you're really dating me when you, when we talk about the F four because that's <laughs> obviously been been quite a while. Um, it, <laughs> it at five years old when you feel the rumble of F fours, you know, five of them, you know, ten large fuel consuming after burning jet engines. You're you're never quite the same. It, it, you know, changes you forever. I actually still have the uh, the program 
here. It was the Lake Charles Air Show from October 1st, 1972. Um, still have it, have Blue Angel signatures wow. on there. Yeah. And that, that really cemented it. Uh, my family was in Lake Charles at the time. Uh, my mother was especially keen on aviation. My father liked it as well and took me out to the air shows and I've been staring at the sky ever since. So it, it is, it is not a job. That is for sure. It is absolutely in my blood. Yeah. And, you know, I think we all have had a similar story. Uh, you know, when you're young, you're just so impressed. I mean, most kids say like tractors or trains, you know, or semi trucks or race cars or something, you know, dirt bikes and airplanes, right? It's just part of being a, a, a kid, especially a young male. Um, that is the social order of things. And now, you know, in a modern world we're living, it doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl, if you love these things, it's okay. And, you know, and which is great because we need to get everybody into this industry. Absolutely. Now is the time. The, the floodgates are opening. The jobs are plentiful. Let's do it. And, but your journey didn't, wasn't a straight line. It, it wasn't. I mean, the addiction was from the standpoint of, you know, a lot of people do, you know, Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts and all of that. And those are, you know, good organizations and good experience for, for young people. Um, I actually went into Civil Air Patrol um, because that was about the only way we could, you know, my family could afford having me involved in aviation. And that was a great experience. I, I definitely enjoyed, you know, the preteen and teen years in the Civil Air Patrol. And um, while I didn't actually get to flight train with them, I, you know, I got to be around the airplane and do community service and all that. So that helped even more cement that interest in it. Uh, as you mentioned, there was a couple of years of aviation classes in high school, which was uh, you know, pretty unique at the time, but it was mostly history, fundamentals, um, not even really formal ground school. Um, so it wasn't as formalized as like some of the cadet programs are today. But most people back then were tracking through the military and I looked at it and it wasn't a realistic option for me. My eyesight wasn't perfect. And that's kind of what they wanted it to be back then. Uh, oh, so many years ago in the eighties. And so that wasn't really an option. So I had to kind of put that on pause. I, mean, I did some flying uh, just out of college, uh, soloed even, uh, but really couldn't get involved until after I got a little bit more down the road with a little earning potentials in the IT industry, uh, did the software startup and uh, fortunately had a little bit of extra money and was able to hang around the airport and wash airplanes and do all that kind of hangar rat type thing in my in my 20s when I didn't have any other real distractions other than just work and, and aviation. Uh, I managed to get my private. But then that even paused for a little bit while I focused on career and um, getting married and have a, have a kid. And, you know, congratulations to Kyle on the the relatively recent addition. That's awesome. Yeah. That'll keep you busy. So, so did that <clears throat> and it, you know, paid the bills. It just, there, there just wasn't a realistic way to have a family, to have a kid and also go in and live on $15 an hour, which is what, I mean, Tony, you were, uh, you, you went in through that time and, and you knew what it, you know, what it was, how tough that was. And so it wasn't, really an option. Back in 2001, I <clears throat> went ahead and I had the money. I bought a plane. I actually moved into an airport community in the Austin area. So that shows how addictive it was. I bought a house 
on a runway. <clears throat> In fact, I, I talked, I told my wife before we even got married, it's like aviation is part of who I am. So we are at one point going to live at an airport and she's like, <laughs> okay, we can do that. So that was, that worked out. Uh, but I ended up getting my instrument commercial and multi all in the span of probably six months. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wrap that up in the summer of Oh one. And, um, things change. Well, we all know where that's going. Yeah. Things change September 11th. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it changed for, for everyone. I mean, I, I kind of, I started a little bit after you, but same thing, private pilot license. And then as soon as I got that certificate in my, my hand, my hands, <laughs> guess what? Uh, there's no flying for a couple of weeks. Uh, and it was, it was a tragic, tragic time. Uh, for our industry and for our country and for the world, really. Um, so it's it's understandable how things kind of took a back seat. Now, in a little bit, I just want to back up a little bit. You were able to build time <clears throat> before that to get those ratings so quickly. As you mentioned, you were a hangar rat. And that involved, you know, cleaning up, washing airplanes, doing doing the the stuff you would do at a small GA airport just to be in the environment. Now, were you doing all this while you were also working in uh, in for yourself, which your software company? I, I was, yeah. It was a group of four of us. You know, we're all young, twenty-something-year-old guys, and we're doing nerd stuff. So we're working all hours, seven days a week, and you know, we'd take off when we could, and. Um, one of my partners was also interested in aviation. So we'd go out and we'd wash the airplanes and uh, we, it, it, fortunately things were less expensive back then. You know, rental was way less expensive. Fuel was way less expensive. Um, so we basically flew for cheap labor and gas uh, is what a lot of what we did. And then one of my early instructors, uh, he's at Delta now, his dad bought him a Piper Apache and said, all right, mm. go fly. And he was, he was CF double I and MEI. So his dad said, go fly, build his hours. since his dad was getting him on the path to, to getting to a legacy. And he um, basically let me get instruction in the multi for fuel. So since it wasn't really costing him anything, I bought the fuel and we cruised all over East Texas doing probably stupid things, flying at night in a Piper Apache, which now looking back as a ATP <laughs> flying nice airplane, I'm like, why did we do that? Yeah. Why? <laughs> um, but we were young and stupid. So I was fortunate to have that opportunity. Yeah. It, it, you it, do anything for flight time, Mike. Anything all, for flight time. Almost <laughs> anything. We'll leave the anything up to Alex. No, hey, 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 almost anything is still where I caveat it, okay? Like, I'm going to talk about that time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, $20 is $20. But, mm -hmm. hey. Yeah, I, I love the, you know, just a really quick uh, off topic. I love those uh, short, whatever you call those videos. I don't know, whatever they're called, shorts. Um, and, you know, the, the girl comes in and goes, hey, this guy in there said if I show him... My boobs, I'd give them, she'd give me like a two venti caramel frappuccinos and she walks in with two caramel venti frappuccinos <laughs> and he goes, well, you, how did you, what? <laughs> Pretty much that's the way it is with flying. Uh, oh, you yeah, want to yeah. build that time. Oh, yeah. You want to get that magic number, that 1500 hours. I love, I love seeing these Instagram posts where these you know, young men and women are posting on their laptop, 1500, I finally made it, 1500. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I posted one the other day, 12,000. <laughs> you, you know, if I wanted to be tacky, I could say I earned some of my hours on my back, uh, on my back, scrubbing the belly of an airplane. There you go. You know, <laughs> you know. yeah, I, mean, I don't, maybe that's too tacky, but yeah. you know, <laughs> when, when you're doing grunt work and you're happy to do it. Well, you know, you're washing flying. airplanes and, and, and trading them for flight time. It's like, it's a good trade-off. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's a good trade-off. What, will what, say what were you thinking, listener? Get, get your it. mind out of the gutter. <laughs> I, I will say one thing, and I didn't get to say it when Kyle was talking about the hiring and the cadets and everything. And this goes out to all the cadets listening and all that, uh, the people who are just trying to get in that 15, 12, 50, thousand hour mark. Do not get discouraged right now if you don't get a call back. Do not get discouraged yep. because they are flooded with people. Do not get discouraged. Yeah. Just keep swimming, man. Just yeah. keep swimming. Keep your head up. Keep flying. Keep going. And you will eventually get a callback from somebody. Do not get discouraged. Oh, I just keep eating ramen noodles, man, because that's the way it was back in the day. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Ramen what, noodles what? And, and what they call pilot food, the cheesy crackers from the vending machine. Mm-hmm. Last year during COVID, uh, all my mentees asked if they were going to have a job uh, and you know, they're still working on instrument commercial. And I, I had told them this doesn't, this doesn't affect you. You just need to keep, keep moving. And, uh, uh, this is only affecting the people right now. So just, just keep moving and don't worry about it. <laughs> well, and they have the so, gift of time too, right? Yeah, yes. So that's the thing yep. is any, anybody in their late teens, early twenties that are considering this, they're, they're going to go through downturns. There's no question. Right. I oh, mean, pretty yeah. much everybody oh, yeah. flying today or recently retired, they went through at least one or two downturns and they will too. Yep. Yep. So, um, just keep yeah. on moving. Yeah. Keep, keep moving forward. That's the only thing I can say. Keep moving forward. That's it. So Mike, you said that you fast forward to, you know, the early two thousands, you're living in Austin at that time. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you, and you moved into the airport home. Did you have an airplane? Well, when you move into an airport home with a hangar, you kind of have to buy an airplane. So I got the house first and then I got the airplane. And it was just a 172, which is, you know, a good, inexpensive way to get going. Uh, although it had, it had upgraded, it had a 180 horse engine in it. So um, <clears throat> it was a little nicer, but certainly not a professional level airplane, but then just flew the wheels off of it constantly. Flying again, gas was cheaper back then too. And when you can just get a wild hair at the last minute, decide you want to go fly and you just roll it out and go, then you go. So one hour flight time for me probably only cost me an hour and a half worth of actual time because I'm not driving to the airport, pulling the plane out, putting it back in, et cetera. So, yep. Yeah. And when you own your own airplane, if you can swing the financial burdens of the maintenance costs, insurance costs, it really is a, a good investment because when you finally decide to sell, nine out of 10, you're going to be walking away with basically free flight time. Because you, even if you sell it for the same amount, you just paid for the fuel and the maintenance and you got all that flight time. A lot cheaper than having to rent an airplane and going to flight school, get an instructor and getting checked out and having to go through different, like, class bravos and sit in 20 minutes waiting for a clearance for takeoff watching that Hobbs meter cha-ching 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 and so yeah owning an airplane definitely has its advantages 
Oh yeah, absolutely. That's it. You save a bunch of money per hour, but you do take on, you do take on the risk, right? If something, if you have a bad day and for some reason beyond your control, the engine craters itself, it could be devastating financially to somebody that you know, might otherwise not have the resources to deal with it. So it, it's not for everybody, but if you can, it, it can be, if, if you're fortunate and things don't go the wrong way, it can definitely be the most affordable way. In fact, I've got a close friend that I jokingly say he turned a um, ultralight weed hopper into a career <clears throat> actually where you started because he was really good at buying and selling airplanes and trading up and trading up. And he eventually traded up to a twin commander, oh. flew that enough to get his multi hours in the books and then get hired on uh, at Eagle back in the day. Yeah. Back when they existed, their own standalone entity. Yeah, yeah, and your your career progression in uh, networking and in IT, it excelled, didn't it? I, I was fortunate. I, I managed to work for some of the industry's uh, top companies. I, I did work for IBM for a while after we sold the software company, and then I worked for a company called Cisco Systems. A lot of excellent people I worked with. Really enjoyed that. Um, then was able to jump over to a telecommunications company uh, and take a leadership position and progressed up through that. And it, it, it was a blessing. It was a financial blessing. It was also a blessing from the fact that it gave me the opportunity to work with not only great people, but also lead great people and learn leadership and, and have staff and really, really enjoyed that. And in a lot of ways didn't want to leave it, but sometimes things change. And life says, hey, it's time to reevaluate and see what you want to do. And that happened in July of 21. Mm -hmm. July of 21. 21, yeah. And so you found yourself without a job after holding a very prestigious position, making very good money, enough money to make this hobby a reality. And give you this opportunities that that some people don't have. That you were able to get an airport home, buy some airplanes, go flying, build your time, and not have a time crunch behind it. Going, oh, I got to get it all done because I got to get a job to pay all this back. And you were very fortunate in that that you had that. But why? And I'm sure there are plenty of captains and senior pilots out here going, why the hell would you leave a job where you can be home every night making very good money that you can just go fly when you want to on your own accord, buying airplanes? And and why would you leave all that and pursue a career in an airline where you're just a part number? Yep. It, it's, it's a very fair question. When you've worked a job where you're responsible 24-7 for a bunch of people and a bunch of areas of responsibility and you can get woken up at any time being able to enjoy the lifestyle that you guys now know where when the parking brake set on go home day there's really nothing to think about or at least nothing to stress about until it's time to report for duty for your next trip and that is really a nice size nice side benefit but then until you've been in the flight deck looking out at 39,000 feet at everything nature delivers to you, both the gorgeous blue sky as well as sunsets like behind Kyle or even crazy weather with lightning going everywhere, until you get to see that day in, day out, 
it, it, I wouldn't trade it. I wish I could have made the change before because it, money can't buy that. It's no. really something unique and I'm, I don't regret it at all. And I'm making a whole new set of great friends and I work with some really fun people. Uh, yes, Alex is waving. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's been a, it's been a great trade off, but I guess uh, kind of to, to bring a point to the listener, if you are older than average, if you're in your forties or your fifties, don't be afraid to take the chance to follow this. If you think this is something's in a passion for you, it's a passion for you. If you look up when you see an airplane, hear an airplane fly over and you're curious about it, or maybe you're even nerding out looking at ADSB to see what it is, don't be afraid to pursue that, whether you're already a private pilot or maybe have your ratings like I did. And so it was a pretty short hop for me. Or if you're just thinking about it, at the end of the day, we all go the same way. We all go the same eventual. We leave this earth in some form or fashion, but have you really lived until you've done check those boxes you want to do? And this is, this is one I've always wanted to do. I wanted to burn jet a and sure. I guess if I had stayed working in it, I probably could have bought an albatross or something like that and gone paid for my own jet a, but it's just, it's really special to get paid to burn jet a and then to see the people's faces when they're leaving and they're telling you, thank you. And uh, I just, it's special. And, and you guys know that because you're doing it and now I'm doing it and I'm, I'm blessed. Yeah. And you're doing it as we mentioned earlier, not as some 20 something year old, you had a fruitful long career. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you own some pretty remarkable airplanes. I was kind of looking at the list that you had sent me. Uh, was it a, a star duster? That, that was my first experience in detail wheel. A yeah. That's biplane. a biplane. You bought a biplane. Absolutely. Yeah. Your tailwind endorsement or? or? I, I did. Um, I would not recommend starting out in a um, high performance <laughs> biplane for tailwheel. Uh, I did. I did go take some tailwheel instruction um, from an amazing, very seasoned uh, acrobatic pilot, Charlie Jerick. And um, <laughs> he, he was one of those old school instructors that'll smack you upside the head if you do something stupid, but you learn a lot really quick. So I was, uh, really loved flying with him. And then that helped prepare me. And then, and, and actually another formal, former, uh, Eagle pilot, uh, Tom McMeans, um, helped me out learning the Stardust, And that, that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that airplane a lot. Yeah. And then you, you were buying and selling 172s. You ended up selling one of them to buy a V-tail Bonanza, the doctor killer. Uh, <laughs> good thing I'm not a doctor, right? <laughs> <laughs> and how what you know, that's one of my favorite GA airplanes. I just think that it's a very good looking airplane. Um, how was that airplane? Do you still own the VTEL? Oh yeah, absolutely. I can't imagine selling it. it. I didn't really understand all the bonanza, bonanza, bonanza. What's so special about it? Cause we had them at the airport I used to live at in Austin and I never really understood it until I actually got to fly one and build some time in it. And it is just a really enjoyable flying airplane. Uh, it's actually very easy to land. It makes you look like a better pilot than you really are. Um, but they are kind of the Cadillacs of the GA. Uh, they're older. <clears throat> they, they still make the Bonanza in the G36, and they're well out of reach financially of me. Uh, but as Kyle can tell you, Beechcraft are really nice airplanes. They're good 
honest airplanes. And, and quite frankly, I felt like I owed it to myself to behave as a more professional pilot when I bought that airplane. It is faster. And I just, I wanted to communicate on the radio better. I wanted to operate in the national airspace system better um, and just kind of elevate myself. And I, I think it, it helped. Yeah. Well, this is, let's go back to, you know, it's like August, 2020, you decide to leave the Austin area and come over to the DFW Metro area and you bought another home there also at an airport. That's right. And so what, what's your hang? That's where you are now, right? And your hangar space is, uh, how many airplanes can you keep in there? Um, we've got five in there right now. Okay. Which, which, uh, airport, Mike? I did prop wash. Oh, Okay. Yeah, we uh we have a couple of hangers at Northwest Regional there at fifty two Fox. Yep, you're twelve yep. miles away from me. <clears throat> yep, yep, right around the corner. You and I'll have to go uh, catch drinks. I guess we got the uh, the California contention uh, on the other part of the video call, and then you and I. So it's uh, yeah. Well, it's a matter right. of time. Kyle, Kyle will be joining you, and who knows? Maybe I will too. <laughs> <laughs> so here you are, you know, you're, you know, you're the telecom company decided to restructure your services. They felt were no longer available and you found yourself with, you know, all this opportunity in the GA community, you're flying airplanes, you're buying and selling airplanes, you live on an airport. I mean, you're living the dream that most airline pilots say, when I retire, that's what I want to do. And you're doing it and you're not even there you're not even looking at airlines you're just loving the aviation looking up when a jet falls over uh falls over flies over and uh <laughs> a jet falls over i i got uh latam uh, peru on my mind <laughs> scrub that um and you're you're sitting there you know just in awe every time a jet flies overhead so you you, you indicated that you kind of lost your passion for it at that point and decided that the lifestyle of being in a, a professional environment uh, with IT was not for you, and you decided to try professional aviation. How did that work? At the age of fifty-four, you said, "You know what? I still got time. I'm going to do this." Yeah, it, great question. And I don't think it could have happened ten years ago. Maybe even not five years ago. We're just in such a unique situation the industry's in, where so many pilots are needed. You know, for a multitude of reasons that I'm sure you've dedicated podcast time on, is it was un unprecedented and it just made sense because I already had, I already had the, the 1500 plus hours, I already had the commercial instrument multi, uh, but even if I hadn't, I could have gone and pursued it and knocked it out pretty quickly. Uh, a good friend of mine um, who actually uh, went through Eagle and then he's now at another another major in the Metroplex. He said, look, get on with the 121. Go through a 121 training opportunity, or training program at a regional. He said, doesn't matter which one. He said, even if you have to commute to it, just apply to all of them and see who will take you. And go through that. And if it turns out not to be for you, you will still enjoy the benefits of learning high-quality, standardized training and how the crew concept works together. And I had talked to uh, some 91 and 135 operators and things like that. And I just wasn't competitive there uh, from the standpoint that they all wanted, you know, thousands of hours of jet time and things like that. Not to say they were getting it, but that's what they wanted. <clears throat> and so I applied it at multiple 
121 regionals and Sandpiper was one of a couple of them that got back with me and that I interviewed with. And they were honestly the bell of the ball. I mean, that was, it's like already here in the Metroplex and everything I could see, it seemed like a good group of people and well run and a, right up under the wing of your legacy, uh, you know, and absolutely. I, I jumped at the chance was a little bit floored. I you know, went in through the interview and I was like, wow, okay, this, this is really happening. And it did. And I did not look back. And, and this is a popular question I ask for all the people that have gone through uh, sandpiper or one of the others. Um, what was the time frame from when you submitted your application on airline apps to when they called you and said, I have a class date for you. It was pretty quick. I started submitting in January of 22 and ended up with a January interview. It might've been late December 21 when I actually started filling out airline apps, but I interviewed in January then went to ATP CT. And that was, I found out then there was a group of 12 of us went through the interview process um, they gave CJOs to 11 of us, I believe it, as you can probably guess, I was the elder of the group. And Number then, one pick baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. We'll go with that. And ATP CTP after that in February and then March 10th, 47 of us showed up at the hotel and that's when I met Alex and I could tell that we were clearly going to be the troublemakers met, of class and CTP. You were, oh, that's right. ATP, CTP. Yep. You, you, I passed along my, uh, CTP or the ATP written binder to you guys. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, it's, you know, and for the listeners it, out there that, that may not be in aviation, just to clarify a uh, CJO conditional job offer. It's what they'll give you. And they'll say, okay, sign this. If you want, you know, want the job here or promise the next class date, we're going to reach out to you. So you get a conditional job. doesn't mean you have the job, it just means if all the conditions are met, you'll get the job, you'll get the, the, the class date. And part of that condition is that you get your ATP. Now, you can't just go and take a test like I used, like I did. Like when I, I didn't even have 1,500 hours, I had 300 hours. But you could take the written as soon as you had satisfied the requirements to take the written ATP. And I took the written ATP, and I think it was good for, what, two years or something like that? And so as long as you got a job within the two years, that written satisfies the written portion of the ATP process. And then when you got hired on with an airline, when you took your check ride and got type rated in that aircraft, they gave you two things. They gave you an ATP certificate, or actually in my case, back then I was a commercially rated pilot with a type rating as a SIC, second in command type rating. And then when they changed the rules that if you're going to get, uh, if you have a job at an airline, a 121 operator, you had to be, um, ATP certified. So of course, by then, most everybody that was flying for the airline, not everyone, but most everyone had the minimum 1500 hours. So when you went back for your next training cycle, you were taking a, a fed ride, a check ride, and you would get, get a, either a restricted ATP or you would get an ATP with an SIC type rating. Uh, and that was very stressful at the time. Now, they don't, they don't have all that. It's just straight ATP. You've got to have that in your hand. Mm -hmm. So for, for you and Alex and anyone that's going through an airline environment now, if you don't have previous experience, you will, the airline in this case gives you the air 
transport pilot certificate and it's a certified training program, the ATP CTP. And you'll go and and I, Alex, I remember we talked about that on a previous show. Seven days, you got some uh, three days in a simulator. You got some seven three time. You got that Airbus time. You got the Embraer one seventy five time, and you get your feet wet in all these different platforms. And then at the conclusion of this training cycle, you'll take the the written part. Then they'll give you a class date at the airline for your new hire class. And when you finally take your check ride on your last event there, that's when you are presented with a temporary airman certificate and you'll get your air transport pilot rating with a second in command or actually ATP, right, for that aircraft. So it, it's a big process. It's a big deal. And the fact that, like you said, it's like drinking from a fire hose. So always be ready. Always be in the books. Dedicate yourself. This process goes very fast. You know, we're talking months and you're out on the line. We're going to hear all about your 121 experience, how Sandpiper was the best possible case for you. And we'll also talk about the... $100,000 signing bonuses that they're giving now, some botched drug tests and how to deal with that, and bird strikes, all after the break. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Well, we've been talking with Mike about his journey in aviation and the, the really the windy road he took to get to a regional airline. Um, are you 54 now? 55 now. 55 now. Yeah, turn the page on that calendar again. So 55 years young, you have 10 years left, at least for now. For now. The projections are that you will probably upgrade in the next... 12 to 18 months, depending on your, mm-hmm. your schedule. And you could very well retire as a Embraer 175 captain making low six figures, maybe even more, depending. Well, right now, you guys are probably making 300000 a year with all your, <laughs> <laughs> with all your uh, uh, critical coverage and stuff. But um, is there a potential for you to do the flow? Is Are they projecting that you might make it over here before 10 years is up? You know, honestly, I don't even look at that yet. Um, I've enjoyed my time so far, and I'd like to stick it out long enough to get several thousand hours of turbine and you know upgrade as fast as I can and get at least a thousand turbine PIC. The crystal ball is so hard to know. I, I mean, I guess I could flow, but I would be guaranteed if it flows as things are today, I would retire as an FO at Legacy. And I'm not sure if I want to do that. So it's it's not as clear. And quite frankly, our senior captains and the... Oh, I didn't know if you wanted to... I was just going to say, uh, uh, upgrade time right now, the legacy is uh, less than three years. Oh, wow. Okay. Just some food for thought. Kyle and I could be four stripers right now if we wanted to. <laughs> nice. We, we might be forced four stripers in the future here, but we'll see what happens. Really? I got gotcha. you. Wow. That's the thing is that that's changing so fast, right? It's so much has changed that I'm in that stage. I've got 224 hours now in the airplane after IOE. And I'm just trying to focus on learning what I've got in front of me and be good at it 
and learn from these captains because I'm I'm getting a pretty good mix of some of them are, are newer captains that just upgrade and some of them I just flew with number 13 in Dallas and had a great experience and you know learn from him so I'm just in that learning phase so I'm not I know some of my peers are automatically looking over the fence looking to exit anywhere they can and I mean that's fine I get it they're in their 20s me it's 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 a good place. And if the flow works, the flow works. Yeah. If something else happened that we can't predict right now, and maybe we all come together as one big happy family, I'd be super happy about that. Yeah. Well, we talked about the Endeavor and Delta and the their unions that they got together, the Alpha Union got together, their MECs, and they had this uh, letter of agreement that they've signed saying that, hey, if the company decides to staple us or whatever and merge our certificates together in order to, you know, mutually benefit each other, both uh, mm-hmm. the regional as in terms of a, a guaranteed number or a position at the main line and the main line guaranteed pilot for their their needs, um, then they would be both willing to do it. They'd figure out a way. Um, we have not done that here at the legacy side, um, although there is a lot of movement happening behind the scenes that, of course, they never tell us until we read about it and the paper. Um, Kyle probably has his ear and can't really talk about much because it would be all hearsay. But, um, you know, the fact that things are moving, things are changing. And the hub and spoke model of the regional airline industry, we've been saying this for over two decades, that it cannot sustain itself. We just don't have qualified applicants at this very moment. And financially, it's starting to be more of a burden for the mainline wholly owned carriers that you're really going to pay two or $300,000 a year for a guy flying a 70, 75 passenger jet versus the FO that's flying 200 passengers around making less money. It, it just doesn't really calculate. And there will be a time here in the near future where we're going to see a lot more integration. And Kyle, you know, you, what have you heard that you can tell us that uh, would support that or, or, or refute, refute well, it? From connections and articles that I've read and posted on uh, our Facebook page, um, I, I can see everybody integrating here in the next three to five years. And it's just due to the fact that there's, there's no pilots. And that goes back to late 2000s, or uh, I, I guess it was before that when the regional model came out. And, uh, well, we can pay somebody not a whole lot of money to get flying covered. Um, it's backfired over the years because uh, back when you can, you could pay a pilot $20,000 a year at the regional level. Just they're there to get their flight time. Now, in today's world, uh, with how much flight training is cost, uh, it didn't make sense the last uh, 15, 20 years to... Be, become a pilot because why would I spend the lot uh, the amount of money uh, to get my ratings with no guarantee where I can go you know medical school or become a lawyer and uh, make all the money right out of the bat and go buy my own airplane and go have my own fun. So um, I think that uh, most of these businessmen and women created their own problem a long time ago and it's finally catching up and. Uh, all the cities that uh, 
we currently fly to, I would be, I wouldn't be surprised if some city pairings are lost because we don't have the coverage and you're already starting to see that now with, um, the regionals can't cover it. Uh, we've gone to the uh, hub and spoke model, having uh, flights every uh, hour, hour and a half, uh, to a hub to uh, for connections to now we only have one flight every you know four hours because on a bigger airplane because uh we still have the seats but we don't have the crews and we don't have the frequency now as they'd like um but uh, i i do see in next three to five years all these regionals will probably once they be gone but i'd say the majority of them We'll probably uh, like Delta has their own wholly owned with the uh, Endeavor uh, United. It'll be interesting to see what happens, uh, which direction they go with that. And then here at Legacy, uh, the, the three wholly owns uh, I could see at the bottom of our list. And uh, not only pilots, but the airplanes, because uh, three, let's just say 320 Neos right now. Um, you can't get a new 320 Neo. Let's say you wanted to order one today. It's a good eight to 10 years out, uh, wow. to get a new airplane. So where are you going to get it? You, you got to have lift. Um, so, eight to uh, 10 years, eight to 10 years. Yep. For a, a brand new 320 Neo. Well, that's actually um, very discouraging because yeah. if frontier has, what's 22 neos on order that means they get priority yep. they already put in their orders correct so if so we say all these hey, ultra low all these ultra all of these ultra low cost <laughs> carriers they put in their those orders a few years ago um when everybody put in their big orders and okay they needed something to replace them with um so they they've already been aligned for it um, so I wouldn't be surprised if Legacy, if we have end up getting the uh, uh, 195, the E2, um, we get the 220. Uh, they're going to need the lift, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised as well. I don't know what the max seating is on a CRJ7 or a 900 and the 175. Now, now, if everybody stapled the bottom list, now the scope goes away. So you can add. Um, I'm just exactly. guessing another 15, 20 seats to that airplane. Yeah. So and it all comes down to cost per seat mile. Every oh, yeah. business person you talk to, what's the cost per seat mile on this, on this leg? And that's what they're looking at. Yeah. So it's actually printed uh, on our freight release, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So well, it, uh, so, yeah. you know, like you said, you can't pay a, a 175 cap and capped out at 76 seats, 300 an hour. What is it? 300 an hour for critical coverage. It just, it doesn't make any sense. They're right. uh, making more than a wide body captain with 300 seats. So it's, uh, it just, it's, it's not going to be sustainable for a long period of time. Yeah. And th those were a two year, um, temporary agreement. Per you know? Correct. So it's not like it's going to be forever. So there must uh, be a bigger plan yeah, in effect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you say that now, <laughs> Tony, but the reality is, is that the other regionals have put in longer term or even permanent pay increases. The Sandpiper won't be able to snap back because you'll just see attrition go get even worse on that the whole point but, of that was to stop attrition. And if they're hey, trying to stop it and after two, two years, 
And they're trying to stop it after two years. And it hasn't really. That's the thing is I don't think, and obviously I don't have any inside information here, but from what I've heard, it doesn't sound like the attrition has really stopped that much because you can't blame. I I flew with captain just the other day. His he's 26 years old. We flew his last legs together because he's going to another Dallas based, um, what we could call a major, uh, you know, former low cost carrier. And everybody's hiring. Yeah, because you can't blame a young person for wanting to get on to somebody you know, to a top tier company's seniority list. It's all about where you are on the seniority list because at some point the music's going to slow down, so you've got to get to a list. So, but you touched on something, Kyle, and that's that scope clause. Well, if you look at Europe and South America, Central America, they don't have that. So we were parked this morning. I came out of Aguas Calientes this morning in Aero Mexico. There was a one ninety right next to us. You know, Alex and I are fully qualified to go file 190. We're type rated in it. We could go over there today. So you look at the 195E2, I think that's good up into the low, you know, 110, 120 seats. Well, Mike, it's funny you say that. So I was on the 190 here my first two years. I was was the baby in uh, uh, Tony and I's class. And that was the, the number one thing was we were flying this 190 around not only doing the shuttle but a lot of the second and third dairy markets all of our flights were full everywhere we went and um we're, when they took it off of us and went to republic 175 we're going backwards now we're we're losing those seats in the market and they're they're selling seats on them and it, and they uh, purposely capped it at 99 seat so they didn't have to have three flight attendants on the 190 but with that was our number one thing and then the number two rumor when i was there was you know can, can you guys stay we're looking at the 195 e2 and i don't know if you remember but that's when the profit hunter was in dallas i think it was in dallas three or four times within the year so there were there were executives looking at it just uh Nobody's ordered the 195 uh, in the U.S. Nobody's ha- has put in a new, a big order for the 195 in the U.S. And you look at uh, Legacy's care uh, uh, history, and you look at the Super 80. Um, that wasn't a very uh, nobody bought in the U.S. until Legacy Care got it, and they got it for pennies on the dollar back in the 80s. So I'm wondering, our, our rumor was. When they were telling us, "Hey, can you guys stay on the uh, the 190? We're going to get these airplanes." Where, well, crap, maybe we're getting the E2. It's in it's in DFW. The executives are flying it around, and uh, and that was right when the time when Boeing bought out the E jet from Embraer. So we're like, they're going to get they're going to get this airplane for cheap, like they did the 80, and we're going to be stuck here flying it at Group One pay, which that's another topic for our contract that uh, yeah. we'll have to uh, uh, talk about at a later time. But, uh, um, you know, they're going to have to do something with the seats. Um, with the, uh, We're going to have to go back to bigger airplanes, flying the smaller routes. You're not going to have the frequency because we're not going to have the pilots because everybody, uh, just like you said, Mike, everybody's trying to get on a seniority list somewhere before the music stops. And uh um, not only does legacy have all the retirements that we do, but so does everybody else. Yeah. You got Delta United friends at FedEx, UPS Southwest. Um, and, uh, we, we've even had new hires that have come here, uh, 
pick a base where you want to live at. And historically, that's never really been the case. It's always been, uh, you know, whoever, whoever calls you first, that's where you need to go. And you don't know right. if you made a right decision until you retire. Huh. So a uh, little different boat today, but uh, yeah, I, I, I truly think that uh, most of the, the regional model is going to be pretty much gone. Um, I, I, I'd give it about five, three to five years at the most. Yeah, and we'll just we'll just see what happens. But for for everybody right now, flying and uh, doing everything, everybody's in a good spot. The pay, the work rules are going to keep getting better and better, and uh, um, going to be a, a fun career, uh, just like it was, I guess, in the the seventies and the the eighties. The golden early age 70s. of flying golden, is coming yep, back, gonna, baby. History repeats itself, right? So, well, they say uh, every uh, what like, like hundred years. <laughs> yeah. Hey, my. When you scare people away from the profession, it, it comes back sooner than later. So yeah, I'd like I'd like to think it's a different golden era, a new golden era. Yes. <clears throat> Pay, work yes. rules, quality of equipment, and things like that. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and speaking and, of, uh, you know, we're talking about the industry, how it's changing, and and what does that mean to someone who is going? I want to be a pilot. I mean, it's now is the time. We've been really pushing this on the show, uh, and all it takes is a little bit of determination and dedication to a to a profession that will yield results. But you have to be willing to get creative pay your dues, get that education down, get that flight time down. Don't be in a big rush. When you're young, you want it now, now, now. I want to fly the bigger airplane. You got the thrill of the polyester. I need that fourth stripe as soon as I can. And the reality is life is happening while you're planning it. It's, it's now's a good time because the opportunities are bountiful. And like Kyle said, this industry is changing. And those that pay attention and that are open to trying different avenues. I mean, even later in life, you can make an absolutely good choice by choosing this career field. And we're seeing it right here with Mike and his story. Now, Mike, we're going to get to some some Q&A about your journey a little bit later in the show, but I wanted to talk a little bit about some topics that we mentioned at the intro. Now, we've been talking about the demand for pilots, the potential for the regional um, system to be revamped completely because it just cannot sustain itself. And some of these regionals are desperate. As a matter of fact, uh, from uh, envoyair.com, Envoy Air is offering up to $100,000 to pilots on day zero. But hold your horses. That is not for everyone. I wanted to add, Tony, uh, today. I don't know if you guys saw it, but I believe it was commuter. If you had a, a they're hiring direct entry captains, two hundred thousand dollar sign on bonus. I think it was making two hundred thousand a year in a uh, float of United in two years. Jesus. So you know, it really Whoa. it's the low hanging fruit here is these uh, <laughs> these jobs. <laughs> wow. You know, and th- this is amazing, amazing. Uh, if earlier. Alex, I think, mentioned that how unfair it was. Like, well, well, he got hired, and then all of a sudden, these bonuses came after and stuff. And how do you think I feel? 
<laughs> but, but, uh, no on, doubt. You know, but Envoy Air, let's, let's, let's just go through how you can get this 100000 And we'll have to look into uh, these other uh, airlines that are also offering this. Uh, but Envoy, uh, according to their website, they're pleased to offer a new experienced pilot bonus for qualified first officers who receive a conditional job offer, or CJO, between November 15th, 2022, and December 31st, 2022. So get on it. You also have to receive a class date as early as January of 2023. The limited time offer will give $100,000 to qualifying pilots with more than 950 hours of 121.436 flight hours and $75,000 to qualifying pilots with between 500 and 950 of 121 flight hours. The full amount of these bonuses after taxes will be paid on day zero, the day before training, for pilots in class by March 1st of 2023. In addition to these enhanced bonuses, first officers with more than 500 hours and 121 flight time will be eligible to receive a 50% pilot supply premium and captain's pay at 750 hours of 121 experience will also have their program still in effect as we continue to grow envoy places massive importance of recruiting and retaining the best pilots in the industry said captain rick wilson vice president flight operations as a result, there has never been a more lucrative time to be an airline pilot. Combined with our outstanding benefits, state-of-the-art training facility, and career advancement opportunities, there is no better place to be a regional pilot than Envoy. Envoy. <laughs> As a wholly-owned subsidiary of American Airlines Group, Envoy offers guaranteed flow-through to American without having to interview again or compete with thousands of pilots who apply to American every year. From offering substantial sign-on bonuses on day zero, a growing fleet of 76-passenger Embraer E-170-175 aircraft, and the increased benefits providing work-life balance for our pilots, quality of life, career prospects, and Envoy are nothing short of outstanding, said Wilson. For more information, you can visit envoyair.com forward slash pilots.com. So here's the here's the issue with that, right? And I'm not denying that these guys get a good bonus or anything like that. And by the way, if you guys want uh, letters of rec written for you, I will gladly write you <laughs> letters of rec. <laughs> but here's the issue. You get hired on at Sandpiper as a direct entry captain. You're junior to me and Mike right now. You're junior to us. Right. So why would so it work for me? You're going to, well, I know it works for us, but I'm saying you will perpetually sit on reserve for the next three years. What, uh, what, how much time are reserve pilots getting? Cause if you, if you do the math for direct entry cap, and so you're getting a hundred thousand dollar bonus, no questions asked, day zero. That's not even getting through training. I'm getting a 121 captain time. So if I'm flying 50 hours a month, 80 hours a month on reserve, even though you got a crappy schedule, okay, you're going to have that by a year, year and a half at most. So even if you're junior to everybody, that could set that would set you up for um, going to a different airline. Yeah, if not you have you you have a job at the end of the day at American, but you're behind everybody. But but they're also you're getting your PSE turbine. 
and that, and that's what they're uh, getting. They're getting their PIC time, but they're the also bat. coming over here because they're leaving a different regional to get that. Starting over again dollars. from the bottom of the seniority list, yeah. being on reserve, yep. getting their line guarantee and only their line guarantee, maybe yeah. flying 50 or 60 hours a month, although the holiday season, they'll probably be flying more than line holders. Oh, yeah. And and But that's all it is. It is a time-building exercise. It doesn't promote loyalty. It doesn't promote them staying with the company because the next company is going to come along, say, a year down the road and say, oh, by the way, if you come over now, we're going to give you a a direct captain again. There is is a clause that that is in the fine print. I think that's a two to three year commitment. Yeah. Unless they either flow or hire two legacy around the flow. So that's a pretty big chunk of change to have to pay back. If they just jump somewhere else in another year or two, not impossible, but that's how they're, that's how they're getting you is they're, they're using that three year guarantee. Okay, cool. You're going to get a hundred thousand dollars, but now you're locked in for three years at Sandpiper. Well, you just explained the whole cadet program because that's what they get. They're paying for your ATP, CTP. They're paying for some flight time, possibly. They're helping co-sign on a loan. If you don't go to their airline, then who's going to pay that back? You are. Yeah. Uh, However, there's always always a way out of it. There's always a way out of any sort of contract out there because even our cadet program, it says that there's no... There's nothing in writing that states you have to come here, which is blows my mind with the amount of money you're throwing at somebody to yeah. have them leave to go somewhere else. That, that's uh, and and I've I've had a couple cadets come up and say, Kyle, uh, you know what happens if Delta calls or United calls? You know, even though you know Legacy pay fit the bill for it um, up front. It's like, well, there's nothing, but if, if there's nothing you signed that had that written anywhere, then you're free to go. So there, there's always going to be some backdoor thing, and you can't really. Um, it it, it kind of reminds me of um, uh, signing for a, a, a type rating. My in my corporate days, there were operators that if you left after a year, you'd have to pay back prorated. Mm-hmm. Um, the the training cost. However, it was a double edged sword because there were pilots that left, and their argument to these companies was: so if you guys fold, I'll have to pay you the training cost of that particular airplane. So there's no judge that's gonna say you 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 owe you owe them money and they folded it. Nobody's going to do that. And they're not going to go after you in court because it's just going to cost too much money and time. And that's another issue, but uh, there, there's always going to be a way out of a, a contract. So I was going to say but, there's the, the poaching is going to happen regardless of whatever's going on in the industry at a regional airline. If you work for, and I'll just use American, if you work for one of the American subsidiaries, one of the other major airlines is going to come poaching. It, that's just the nature of the beast. Mike and I had a classmate of ours, and uh, it's funny because I was giving him crap the other day in one of our group chats because someone had chimed in about something and he piped up. And I was like, you don't even go here anymore, Delta. Like, calm down. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But he, he, had, he had gotten a, a CJO at Delta while he was in class with us upgrading. 
So, so, he, so look at, I want, well, this is what I want you guys to look at. So with these bonus types, look at, look at the other regional cares that don't have uh, some sort of flow with a legacy care. Look at Republic, look at, uh, I guess Mesa has one now with uh, uh, United Sky West, maybe look at Sky West. So what they're they're what they're trying to do is they're, they're trying to not only cover some of the regional. They're getting desperate with the regional flying. The, they're trying to save the business model, but they're trying to poach those pilots away that don't necessarily have a flow, or maybe they're an older pilot group that, uh, um, well, I can go be a cat and I can make extra money, and I I know I have a job at a, a legacy care. And next, you know, three years, four years, whatever it is now. Um, so you, you get you got to start looking behind the curtain and seeing what they're trying to do and who they're trying to poach. Um, and on the flip side, it brings flying back to to the overall house, um, legacy's house, uh, mainline. Now you want most of our flying, um, you. You want done either by us or the wholly owned. The the uh, I, I don't want a third third party airline flying our routes because they're, um, I guess quality of service isn't going to be as great yeah. because they're it's not they're flying if that makes any sense. Makes sense. So just I have a cough. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so just start looking behind the curtain yeah. that and that's what they're doing right now. They're trying to poach everybody everybody's pilots and yeah. um. And if you and if you start thinking about not only that but uh, uh, these other carriers that have airplane orders, think about it. If if guys had if let's say Sky I know SkyWest and uh, Republic have airplane orders. Um, if the if they start poaching their pilots, they're not going to need the amount of airplanes that they'll have to shrink. Yeah. So, so who gets those airplanes? Who gets the airplanes right. now? So you got to start thinking about that too. So um, it's obviously a multifaceted. uh, Oh yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a behind the scenes, behind the curtain narrative about all this. And uh, um, we'll just watch it unfold. Yeah. I think the lesson, go ahead, Mike. I was say, you know, they, they've been throwing money at us now since what was that? June. I believe Alex, when we were in class and yeah. I came out and, and I don't, I don't think it's really slowing down the attrition. So I think there's one lever left that America and Delta, anybody with a wholly owned one lever they could pull left. And I think American did it many, many years ago is they started assigning mainline seniority numbers when people upgraded to captain at the regional, but I've not heard any discussion about that. That was to, and Tony can tell you about this since he was there. Uh, that was attested to a lawsuit that happened a long time ago. Big one. And that big one <laughs> where 9 11 hit, they had some flowbacks, and the deal was at the time was uh, we'll give, I don't know if it was everybody on the Eagle seniority list at the time or if it was just the captain. So but one to and, one to well, the senior captains. So two hundred to one. So two hundred and sixty something pilots, I think. It, yeah. So there there was so that so they gave those guys seniority numbers right off the bat. When things started moving again and that time came, the all the Eagle guys 
said, Hey, where's, you know, you guys are hiring. Where's our class state? Um, and a legacy pretty much said, you know, what, what class state? So there was a big lawsuit of that and they, uh, ended up having to give all the Eagle guys what they were promised were, uh, seniority numbers. But you're right, Mike, I, I do believe if, they promised if they gave everybody some sort of seniority number today, the d- day one you start class, I think everybody would stay. Uh, or at least it would dramatically slow it down. You'd probably it, right. get some people leave because of better base opportunities or something right. like that. But uh, you, you, you think twice about leaving. Oh, I absolutely. Have a, um, have a buddy over there. He's a check airman with uh, Sandpiper on the 175. Um, he turned down his Delta CJL last year. Oh, he wow. Said, he said, Kyle, I'm flown to American in a year with the amount of uh, money I'm making right now. Doesn't make any sense, but I have a job next year out at Mainline. So yep. he's like, I'd, and, I'd, and I don't want to commute to Atlanta the rest of my 30 year career. That's what he told me. And I'm just jaw dropped. Because if this was like five, six years ago, we, we'd, What's wrong with you? <laughs> well, and even you know. with the even with the direct entry captains that they're hiring right now, I just went on to um, mysandpiperair.com and logged in, and we can look up our pay rates. Uh, year one for captain with that bonus, and the the fifty percent bonus is one hundred forty six dollars an hour. Like that's a ridiculous amount of money. They're pulling in eleven grand a month for that, you know and if right. you're getting a direct entry guy doing that you know and coming over here not only are you getting that 100 100 grand day zero bonus now you're getting a uh, 146 dollars an hour and that's up until um data signing plus 1 after data signing plus 1 it goes to 150 dollars an hour so you're making you're making six figures your first year if you're uh, now a direct entry captain coming over to, to Sandpiper. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to look up Mainline's uh, group one pay, but I, I know for a fact it's uh, we, we'd be cheaper for group group one pay on Mainline. So oh, yeah. right now much I'd have to look so it enjoy up. while think, you can. Yeah. If they merge certificates, guess what? And that's, that's, okay. that's one thing we're fighting for right now contractually, but we'll, that's another, uh, that's Another a whole session. topic yeah. of discussion. Now, and and I'm I really am grateful that you guys are bringing this up because there are so many factors involved when choosing to apply to or go to a particular airline. A lot of it has to do with the individual's quality of life expectancy. Do they want to commute? Where do they want to live? What's the potential for growth? What is there a flow through program? Is there preferential hiring? All these factors are individual and very personal. But my warning, as we've demonstrated here, all four of us have talked about it at some point in the last few moments, that you have to really be careful. So it, it, it's a very small industry, and there's always a big picture behind the curtain that we're not allowed to see. So it's important to kind of just soak it all in, make the best decision for yourself, and be patient and just stick Stick the flying, stick the the job progression, stick your career progression, and put it in fast gear. And be patient, because it will turn out 
all of this is going to change. What we're talking about here on this podcast today, and maybe even a few months, might be completely obsolete. So just keep that in mind, keep an open mind, and always know that there's a bigger picture at play. And don't give up. Don't get discouraged. I said it earlier. Do not get discouraged. Just because somebody's not hiring right now, like I know the focus on Sandpiper is uh, uh, direct entry captains because we're hemorrhaging captains left and right. Mm -hmm. Like they've put a pause on FO hiring. So do not get discouraged. Like let, let the time come. You'll get your opportunity to come work at Sandpiper or, or Skywest or any of the others out there. Like just give it time right now. That's basically it. Mike and Alex, do you guys know how many captains at uh, Sandpiper are going to be upgraded in the next six months? Do you guys Ooh, know? That's, I, I don't. That's a good question. We um, could probably look it up. Yeah, and you kind of have a, an interesting dynamic at Sandpiper because they're phasing out the 145. So you've got really kind of three groups of people. You've got the 145 captains that'll go through long school and become a 175 captain. You'll have the the few remaining fairly senior 145 FOs that'll come over to 175 FO that Alex and I will functionally move down the list again a little bit. And then you have some number of FOs that are rushing to get to 750 hours so they can get captain pay and they're going to immediately start bidding reserve because they don't want to become a captain and they're happy to have quality of life good bidding seniority and drag their feet getting to 950 hours to when they move over so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out there will be forced upgrades in the future i can tell you that i saw forced upgrades at sandpiper um, I, I lived, I got hired during the era of flow back, flow through, Oof. um, that whole lawsuit. I mm-hmm. learned about it when I was a new hire on reserve, um, dealing with the different problems with expired contracts and what at the time legacy, whatever GG wanted to, to get away with how it went into litigation and how the judge ruled and how the original flow through the, uh, whatever, 624 or whatever, I forget the number, but um, how that all transpired. Um, and it was dirty. It was ugly. There were altercations between pilots within the same company. We saw the parking of the SOBs. We saw the parking of the ATRs. We saw the closing mm-hmm. of bases. We saw Boston close. We saw uh, New York close, Miami close. We saw the uh, airline that was based out of San Juan completely get removed from the entire list and all this movement that happened that at the time we thought was going to be a lot of impossible stagnation, but we got through it and look at us now talk about the swinging from the pendulum. Now at Sandpiper, you got what two airplanes going to one type of airplane and you know, the bases are not necessarily closing. They're actually, they got most of those bases back. Um, and adding a and adding one, adding bases and wholly owns. I mean, whatever happened to that? That they they purchased the the mainline carrier purchased another one. It was in direct conflict, but because now they can't fly for the other carrier, I believe it's United, because it's a contractual thing. So now we are hurting the competition, and I think that was really the the whole purpose of that. Um, the hurting the competition, which was hurting the the um, f- uh, ex- 
ultra low cost carriers that had 80% of their new hires were coming from one of our wholly owns. And so how do we stop that? Well, we offer our pilots 400% pay and, oh, they're not going to go over to Spirit Frontier now. And sure enough, guess who just announced that they're going to be giving signing bonuses and they're hiring direct entry from CFI GDA right into an Airbus for a new Frontier. hire. Yeah. And they've got one of the largest Airbus orders in history. So it's be very interesting. They're opening bases every few months. They're, they're So they're someone that all the main lines have to keep a close eye on because they're going to blow up just like Southwest did back in the day, just like JetBlue did not so long ago. Spirit. Spirit. Spirit's also another one, yeah. good contention to grow, but they have a PR problem. I well, think. Spirit also is getting uh, phased in with uh, Frontier. So once Frontier kind of JetBlue, oh sorry, JetBlue, yeah, that's yeah. right. The Frontier thing came out. That's so. going back and forth. So we'll see what happens. Well, with in, that too. In, aren't the Airbus orders that Spirit has on the books one of the biggest reasons that Frontier wanted them in the first place? Because <laughs> yeah, they, they needed those. That makes them yeah. pretty darn valuable. Same business model, both of them at aircraft orders. It yeah. just made sense. Uh, the JetBlue Spirit, um, it will be interesting because they're supposed to uh, actually take out seats on Spirit and they're going to match JetBlue. And uh, I, I was at JetBlue prior to Legacy Care and it wasn't, uh, um, they weren't packing the seats, but the, they still had a few extra rows, but it wasn't. Uh, wasn't the spirit model at all. Yeah. Well, that'll solve um, the brand problem or the, the yeah, reputation yeah. problem, right? Exactly. Should. should. <laughs> Just get rid of that yellow but paint. Yeah. Damn it. Yep. So <laughs> it, it will all be interesting to see, but, uh, yeah. but they do have, uh, to answer your question. Yeah. They do have all the air, the, all the a three twenty Neo orders right now that all the, most of the legacy carriers want. Yeah. yeah. So, it seems like this discussion's really, I don't know, I, I keep going back to how do we jump this chasm? Because, you know, we've got the 1,500-hour rule with some exceptions with 1,250 and 1,000 for the for the restricted, but it's a gap. I mean, Tony mentioned that he took an ATP written at 300 hours, right? And that's where we were back before the Colgan crash uh, in the legislation that followed that. I'm told that in the European carriers, many of them have their own academies, not just sponsoring young people like the cadet academies at some of the ones we have here, but I mean, actually bringing them through a program. So, um, so what a lot, LaFonza, for example, and I don't know if you guys have been out to Phoenix, but they have a big flight school for LaFonza out, in, I think it's Mesa, Arizona. Um, they start from day one, uh, not only your your basic training but sops so uh that they can get away with that from day one because everything's very structured it'd be like starting day one at a 121 career for training everything's structured they're getting the cruise concept um they get more flight training based on uh, they get a lot more high performance they get a lot more complex they get a lot more multi-time uh, than what's required here in the US however that's just how they're that's how their training's built from the from day one is very SOP oriented and uh, even on their cross-country flying I know they fly at two-man crew it's it's set up to even though the 
uh, switches are in the original spot that the manufacturer built the airplane. They still have crew uh, uh, response checklists. They fly with two pilots. That's that's how they do it. So um, that they can get away with that when, since it's a little bit more structured. Um, here in the U.S., there's so many different flight schools, and it's it'll be very difficult to. Um, align everybody up and doing the same exact thing. Uh, it is and happening have here, the resources though. in order to. Yeah. Yeah. Like but you, you also have to have the resources for the airplanes and the instructors and yeah. uh, the, the buildings. I think that's but what's going to happen is that you see all these independent private flight schools around the country. They're going to start getting bought out. In my opinion, if you can look back on this show 10 years from now, five years from now, mark my words, I believe all these small flight schools that are not, connected with a, a bigger entity are going to get bought out. Look at what United has done in also in Phoenix, the United Aviate Academy. I'm on their website right now, unitedaviate.com. Launch your career, captain your career. And it's a clear path to United. This, this is a wholly owned flight school by United. So you're, when you go to Aviate, you're going to a United flight school and you're going from zero on your road to captain at, on mainline. So we intend to hire more than 10,000 pilots in the next decade and have the largest fleet of wide body aircraft in North America, offering you exciting opportunities to advance. This is the, on their header page, um, growing pipeline of talent. They aim to hire 24% of the aviate transition list each year at each participating United express carrier. So you go there, it's a simple path. You take the, the flight training and then you transition to one of their express carriers and then from there a flow of some kind to united they offer the coaching they offer the travel privileges so you get united passes as soon as you're a private pilot student i mean <laughs> the culture is to gain deeper connections with our united team with access to senior leadership site visits and tours and an inside look at our inclusive career according to the aviate website here um so yeah it's happening already now oh, and, but the training hasn't been set to like what kyle's saying on lufthansa where they're able to go from like day one in a crew concept and are able to kind of expedite their training to get through because i know that's what mike was saying is like how do we jump that gap going from you know you're a 300 hour cfi instructor and now you need to build thousand twelve fifty or fifteen hundred to to ATP standards. You guys re, you guys got to remember back in 2011, 2012 when the whole ATP thing out, just like anything government related, it looks good on paper, but they don't know how to back it. <laughs> and uh you're right, that was the biggest mistake that they made for making it from 300 to 1500 hours for your ATP here in the US that they needed to put in you need to get X number of multi-time, X number of uh, higher performance time um, uh, and, and structure it that way going up to the 1,500 hours because quite frankly, all it says in there is you need 1,480 hours of uh, any time and then was it 20, 25 hours of multi-time to equal your – so there's – you know what – what's the point of going around the pattern at, you know, 80 knots right. doing touch and goes, it, it, it doesn't get anybody any reward experience. So I, I, I do think um, you guys are right. I do think in the next couple of years, we're going to see more flight schools go towards the, uh, the airline model 
and maybe they can come back to the the government and say, hey, listen, um, our flight schools right now, we're doing SOPs. They have our call outs from day one to by the time they get here, this structured all the way through. Can we get relief 1500 hour? I think that's how you got to uh, go after it. Didn't but Republic try that recently? That's good. Yeah, they, they did. Well, the kind of yes and no, <laughs> yes and no. They just all they came out with was, well, we're hurting for pilots. Can you guys reduce the the flight time? Well, that, uh, where's your backing with? Well, I think the mistake they're making so, is they're because um, is it restricted? If you have a two year degree, it's twelve fifty, and if you have a four year degree, it's a thousand. Yeah. So if they could come uh, up with a way yeah, to give similar the, credit. And I think that's what's happening here, that these schools the, that are, are put in place, that they're now, they're gonna, they have to have a time frame where they're showing that, hey, the program is working. We can streamline it even further. We just need FAA approval. And, but they're not going to just go from the current model to a more streamlined model like Lufthansa can get away with because they've been doing this for years and they don't have the requirements that the FAA has. So you got to find a way to back it. Yeah. And this is, this is it. This it. is the first step. But I think we do, and I, you know, you look at big companies, big training companies like KTP and other ones like that. If, if they're already well structured and they can become a very standardized feeder for the big legacies, I think that's how we have to close that gap and give people a path. And quite frankly, there's another very important side benefit of this. And my opinion, this is where you focus the recruitment efforts for diversity and inclusive inclusivity. You know, those are huge buzzwords at the corporate levels, but the place to do that is getting people in the front door and get them all through the same exact standardized training program so that we all, regardless of your background and regardless of what you look like and all of that, we all have to meet the same standard and you do that early in the process so that over a course of time, you end up with an inclusive, diverse workforce that all have a very high level of standardized training, but you meet that goal through the long game. I think the so number one the, hurdle I, for that, though, what has been a hurdle for that inclusion is the cost of training. That is the biggest right. hurdle because when you look I, at the I cost, was, who can afford it? Right. I was right. just going to say the exact same thing, Tony. Like, so it, how are you going to get minorities mm -hmm. and you know people that come from backgrounds, diverse backgrounds, into an aviation career when no one will even give them a loan? Because how the hell are you going to afford it? Because the statistics show that they don't have the means to provide that instruction. Well, then it's the model's got to change. They've got to be recruited in high school. And brought in and put on a payroll. Because if you look at the total, look how much money they're throwing at these direct entry captains and stuff now. If you back that money up and you hire somebody and give them the company culture, the company way of doing things from hour zero. I mean, some people are going to fall out of the training. They won't succeed, right? So you have to do a good recruiting. But then you're not asking them for money. To get through that, you're actually saying, hey, you're now part of the family, yeah. and we're going to pay you all the way through. You're talking about company-sponsored training, wholly yes. owned. Uh, so when I go to a flight school, I got hired at United at zero hours. 
or I got hired at American at zero hours. And I went through their training and I didn't fail anything. I passed everything. And I just, I started working there day one with zero hours. And here I am now online. That's what has to happen. The problem though with that is most of these companies don't want to go out and spend the money on training airplanes. Right. And the problem that we're going to get into is the disconnect from the third party flight schools. It's a huge liability. Right. Liability. Um, they, you know, third party flight schools that we're using now, for example, uh, they don't know apples of oranges of what we do day to day operation. They, they don't have that from us. There, well, there's, there's certainly ways to mitigate risk with, you know, I mean, look at the wholly owns, right? I mean, so these these Fortune 100 companies are more than capable of, of high, you know, having different companies and, th- and things like that doing it. But it, it's as much the SOP, it's like you're saying the Lufthansa model, right? I'm pretty sure that the company in Arizona that's teaching under the Lufthansa banner is... I, I think the flight school is owned by Lufthansa. Really? It's all owned by yeah, because the the tails are painted Lufthansa. The flight the the hangers has Lufthansa. Right, but, it, but from a liability on. perspective, it could still be a different corporation and and all of that. And and I promise you that the the wholly owns or the the majors that that are paying these big bonuses through the wholly owns, they don't want to do that either. There's no way they want to pay out this kind of money. It's 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 really hard on the financials. So they may not want to do it, but they have to solve this problem with skilled talent and, and recruiting it from day one may be the only thing they have left to do. Recruitment and it goes back to work rules and pay. Well, and at, with, at, with at recruiting the to the to the lower common people, like people who aren't around the aviation industry, you know what I mean? Like I grew up in it. Kyle, you grew up in it. Uh, Mike got exposed to it at a young age and Tony came into it in his mid twenties, you know, like we've got all different backgrounds of why we got into aviation, but you take somebody from the inner city who probably will never fly on an airplane their entire life and tell them, Hey, you could come learn how to fly and you could do this. However, you're going to spend $150,000 they're not that's not going to be their cup of tea you you know it's it's not going to be up their alley to to say at 18 years old hey i'm going to drop one hundred fifty thousand dollars so that i can fly major airlines one day you can't ask them to do that you're you're absolutely right you you, that won't work but that's also a systemic systemic it's also a major problem (laughs) with college in general is you're asking an 18 year old kid what they to do yeah to make a decision on the rest of their life but wait a minute we all knew what we wanted to do when we were five years old if you offered this job opportunity to me at 18 years old i really don't think i'd hesitate but that's the thing is that five years old, I wanted to be a pilot. I also wanted to be an astronaut. I also wanted to be a firefighter. Multiple personality disorder, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> My therapist says I'm fine. Okay, thank you. <laughs> well, we, we really do need to move on, you know, but we, we've all made some some really compelling points. And I want to thank you, gentlemen, for, for chiming in on all of it. We We do know that the system is flawed. And I really don't know of any system that's not. Um, unfortunately, a flawed system could end your career. And one pilot found this out firsthand. An American Airlines pilot, and this is an article from One Mile at a Time. I'll put a link in the show notes. This article came out November 6th, 
of this year by Ben Schlapping, one of my favorite uh, journalists. An American Airlines pilot was fired and had his pilot license revoked by the FAA after a botched drug test situation. And here's na- he's now getting some justice in court. The pilot didn't take the drug test that was intended for someone else. Now, before we go on, let's explain one thing. We've all been privy to this at this point in our careers. We are subject to random drug tests. DOT, FAA, random drug test. Your name comes up on some database and some third-party company comes out with their clipboard and their little baggie. And they, as soon as the door opens, they tell the number one flight attendant, is your first officer, uh, Tony, here? And she'll go, yeah, yeah, he's here. All right, let him know. He's drug test, random. And it usually happens towards the end of the flight unless something happens in route or something. So it happens at the end of, the, at the end of your sequence and you go and you get paid for like, for us, I think it's 15 minutes of pay. You go, you pee in a cup, they do the test in front of you, or you blow in the breathalyzer, and they show you the reports. It's all very official. And they send it all out. And it's a random drug test. And everyone is subject to it at any time. Some I got two drug tests in one month one time. Totally random, according to you know the, the guy. Now, this particular airline pilot... Yeah, random, random for you. Yeah, they're like, I heard your podcast. You need another one. Um, airline pilots are subject to these random tests, which are totally fair when you consider how much responsibility they have. Here's a case where someone got fired over a drug test situation, even though he had or they had nothing to hide. DeWitt Igram who is now 64 years old, spent 21 years flying for American Airlines. Unfortunately, his career ended abruptly in August of 2020. He had just landed in Miami after working a flight. An employee from Ulan America, the ground service company that does drug testing for American Airlines, asked a flight attendant at the door for a pilot named Dave. Since random drug testing is performed by a contractor asking for a specific employee, Ingram informed the person that his name was not David. And that at that point, he walked off the jet bridge and into the terminal. The following morning, Ingram awoke to several voicemails from American Airlines Flight Department expressing shock that he refused to take a drug and alcohol test. The contract worker performing the test had allegedly marked him as having refused to take the test. Given that he was upset by this under misunderstanding, he scheduled tests, including blood tests, which showed that he had no drugs or alcohol in his system. Admittingly, alcohol might have been out of his system at that point, but we have no reason to believe that that was an issue since the test was random and not due to any kind of suspicion. Despite that, American Airlines fired him two months later, and the airline requested that the FAA revoke his licenses. Unfortunately, the incident had completely changed his life, as Ingram explains. That night, he says, was the end of all pay and benefits. I exhausted my 401k, sold any stock, I sold two cars to survive. Never in my worst nightmare could I have dreamt that my happy world of personal and professional achievements and pride could end up so disastrously, disastrously as it did. It's been a long, dark hole in the ground prison, alone and told repeatedly to never tell anyone so as to protect me. While this incident happened over two years ago, details are only now emerging as this case is being heard in court where Igram is getting some vindication. A judge ruled that the FAA took away Igram's license illegally 
Furthermore, a judge is allowing his lawsuit to proceed in order to get compensation, as he is suing both American Airlines and Newland America, the company that performed the drug test. The two companies were now seeking a dismissal. American Airlines and the FAA essentially took the stance that his failure to complete the test constituted a refusal, while the pilot repeated and consistently insisted that he had never been notified that he was selected for a random drug test since the contractor said it was for someone named David. Unfortunately, even with a judge ruling in favor of Ingram, he'll never be able to fly for an airline again. He's turning 65 in January of 2023, which is the retirement age for pilots. This is one of those situations where you almost have to wonder if there's more to the story than is not known. However, with the judge having now ruled on the case, it seems pretty clear that this is roughly what happened. How is it possible that a pilot not only gets fired, but has his licenses revoked from the FAA over what accounts to a miscommunication? You might assume, well, maybe he had something to hide, but clearly that's not the case because he then volunteered to take the test and had no drugs in his system. Also, how was the union not able to do something to help? <laughs> Isn't this one of the main purposes of the unions? That's why we pay our dues, right? <laughs> to defend employees in situations like this. Now, of course, in retrospect, I think it's worth acknowledging that there might have been a better way to handle this. Airlines take drug tests very seriously and have zero tolerance with this kind of stuff. If a contractor came up looking for a pilot who wasn't on the flight, it might make sense to stick around and take some time to clarify rather than just walking off and moving on with your day. Did the contract just pronounce the name incorrectly? Or could... I could see how David could sound like DeWitt or was the name verified in writing? And did it match? At least that seems like a good way to cover your rear. But I guess hindsight is 2020. And the article goes on if anybody wants to, to continue. But what's the lesson here? I've been subject to these random drug tests now for show, close to 20 show years. Show them a badge. Yeah. Is this you know, what you're at, looking at for? The end, at the end of the day, so the random drug test that I've had in DFW, it's, it's actually been an airline employee that has come down with the clipboard and got you. Huh. That should be the first thing. There shouldn't be any sort of third party you know, minimum wage person coming up to you because they have no idea at, at the end of the day. Well, uh, it should be something that's verifiable, not just a name. Correct. How about Correct. your employee number? No, I've had right. all given employee number. Why not use that? I, everyone like, hey, I've gone through, it's been with the Euless company and they come up and they say, are you so-and-so? And they show you their paperwork and you look at the paperwork and you go, Okay, yeah, that's me. And they go, can I see your badge? And they want to see your badge because they don't want like the captain or someone else to go, oh, no, I haven't been drinking. I'll take it for you. They want to make okay. sure that they got the right guy or girl. So it's always been very official. The fact that this happened in Miami, of all places, didn't surprise me because the attitude might Which be a little barrier? different. You know? Yep. Language barrier. Language barriers, um, attitudes, like, oh, yeah? Well, and I mean, pushing pushing David to DeWitt, I mean, maybe that's understandable if you have a little bit of a language barrier. But, I mean, those names are, are at least in my mind, and I may be the only one saying this, they're noticeably different. Yeah. Noticeably different. But I would, I'd always go, let me see your paperwork. 
You know? Yeah. Who yep. are you looking for? Who are you looking for? No, I'm not David. Who are you looking for? I've actually had that happen to me once. Uh, they came down the Jeopardy and go, are you so-and-so? And I went, no, I'm so-and-so. And I showed them my badge, which is right here. And they're like, oh, no, I, I'm on the wrong Jeopardy. So that could have happened to me. But I, I yep. just yeah. particularly showed them my badge going, no, I'm so-and-so. Um, and, of course, then they're running because they have yeah, to see the other person. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, it, it, you know, the whole thing of it, it, I feel bad for the guy because, like, it was a shit storm of something that happened that could have been completely avoidable had he had his union <clears throat> representatives with him and d- doing something about it. Like that is something that like his union should have had his back. And Alex, let me, let me, uh, so let's back up a little bit on the union thing. Uh-oh. We have a lot of pilots here that refuse to pay their dues. So they do not get any. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. With all the merger stuff over the years, people are like, I've been screwed this way, that way, this way. I don't want anything to do with the union. So they do not get representation on things so he, like this. So he could, he could have I, been that I guy. Would, he could have been one of those guys. Yep. Okay. There's and a lot of what over, ifs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're all over the system. So uh, we have a lot of people. Well, I shouldn't say a lot. We, there's, there's probably about 10% that don't pay dues that don't yeah. get the representation. And there is another union vote. out there too. I know trans world pilots started their own union. Well, I know yeah, that, so um, there's, I know that the, the legacy pilots association is just, it, it's in utter garbage from the stories that I've heard when I'm commuting. Be careful. <laughs> Be careful. I'm just saying like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to like stir up anything or anything like that, but yeah. some of the oh, stories you done did it, bro. Heard, I heard, yeah, it, but the, historically, but the historically, Alex. Yeah, the union that we have now, it's always been about the top twenty percent, the wide body guys, yeah, and gals that okay, I want my money, I want my schedule, I want the good flying. Yep, uh, we don't care about the the narrow body stuff. Historically, it's been that way. Well, now we're starting the stories to that change. I that's the stories yeah, that right. I hear, and that's all the that's time. A lot of these people that have been, I won't say screwed, but. Uh, uh, have had issues with misrepresented. Underrepresented. There we go. Um, that that's the reasoning behind it. Yeah. So just you know, food for thought when you get into the uh, history lesson of it. That's historically that's what it's well, been. I saw, and it may have been on on the aviation uh, business information board or Aero aero news or i forget which one but someone just posted recently that 67 percent of the uh legacy pilots are in favor of dropping legacy pilots association they they are wanting to explore the merger of the two that's what that 67 percent and we've talked about that a little bit on the show before how you know what would happen if they did that um would it change the dynamic of union representation no i don't believe so i've been a member of of both actually um but i think that there's strength in numbers during negotiations and litigations that you can get from a nationally um accredited union um like the airline pilots uh what's it called uh, airline pilots association yeah so alpa um so you, there's a lot more strength there during times where a smaller union, even the Southwest, has their own private the SWAPA. Um, yeah, it's a great union, but th- c- 
could there be more strength in the fact that there's a national uh, sect of this organization that represents more than one airline? And I think the answer is yes. You you have more power in negotiations and in intel on what's going on at other carriers, maybe your competitors, maybe your allies in the, in the industry. So there's definite benefits, I think. And there's also some negative aspects of it too. I've heard higher dues. I've heard longer to get things done. I, you know, but we have a pretty big number between the wholly owns and the, and the carrier itself. And that would be a pretty big contribution to Alpa if we switched over from Legacy's uh, union to well, Alpa's We're union. already Alpa. Right. We're, Sam we're Piper and the, and the wholly owns are already. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, just think if you had another 15,000 pilots, also being represented by the same group. That's, that, that adds to the, the ability to get things done. So well, and that's right now, it would make sense right now with nego- any negotiations because when you, whenever you're in negotiations, you're already paying more dues. And uh, I, I know Alpa is a percent and a half. Uh, I think just the regular, at least it was on my last career. And then I know APA where we're at now. Uh, it's only percent and a half during negotiations, and then it goes back down to percent. So it's it's cheaper during the all the off negotiation times. Yeah. However, on the flip side of that, though, if we would have got something when we you know year or so after we started back in 2017, I believe was the opener. Um, that would already paid for itself right <laughs> yeah in the in the long long-term gain well, so I, I was just gonna say aren't you guys in a perpetual negotiation phase right now uh yes and no <laughs> yeah that's a whole other that's a whole yeah other, that's we, a whole that, that's another podcast. Show yeah. got it yeah <laughs> we need it we need it keep it going <laughs> yeah well, you know, and, and thank you for that gentlemen um it, it just goes to show you that you should always be prepared when a situation occurs and you have some kind of miscommunication that might be happening, maybe a crucial conversation, pay attention, hit the brakes, take a deep breath and ask questions. Well, can I see your paperwork? Who's that for? I mean, there's a million things you can do at the end of the day. I've heard this since the beginning of my career here in this industry. CYOA. Cover your own ass. Just Ain't because the they got it wrong, you have to think about it. Work from the hearing backwards. How how is this going to affect me? And make sound decisions based on that, and you'll have a long, fruitful career. And things can happen in a moment's notice, like a bird strike, like what happened on American Airlines seven thirty seven out of Miami just recently. A bird strike. According to simpleflying.com, American Airlines Boeing 737-800 suffered multiple bird strikes. We're not talking like doves, pigeons in here. We're talking about geese. You know, those bastards. Yeah. As a matter of fact, every time I go to New York, I go to the hotel layover bar, and I always order a Sully. (laughs) Ah, ha, ha. Some water. (laughs) Two shots of uh, Grey Goose and a splash of water. 
Uh, though the aircraft was significantly damaged, no person suffered injuries. On Tuesday night, American Airlines Boeing 737 flew through multiple birds on approach to Kansas City Airport. Though the airport suffered quite a bit of damage, no person on board was injured. Now, these pictures have been floating around social media. It's pretty bloody. It's nasty stuff. The flight, which was flight 1855, took off from Chicago International Airport on Tuesday at 817 local time, headed for Kansas City. Things were normal on board. And about seven and a half miles away from the runway at, they call it KCI, which that's not really the identifier, but okay. Near the airport, the 737 ran into numerous birds and declared an emergency. Upon landing at the Kansas City International Airport, fire and rescue teams met the uh, and the trucks uh, met the aircraft. And uh, the 12-year-old Boeing in the incident is registered as November 8, 44 November, November. The aircraft suffered noticeable damage on the nose, the engine cowling, and the left wing. The, en- the engine cowling, it's a typo there, uh, appears to have taken most of the severe hit on the right side, on the number two engine. But the left wing's leading edge was also quite damaged. So, yeah, bad so, stuff. Two th- things there. It was a Boeing. So, you, you know, it's built well. And then uh, kudos to the crew. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's just, you know, go through the crew shoes. So you're on the seven mile final. Um, you probably got, uh, I don't know, I'm guy, but you're probably flops 15, maybe 20. I think it's 15. Uh, gear's not quite down yet. You hadn't hit the five mile mark. Your power is kind of set. You know, we're, um, I don't, didn't uh, didn't look up the crew background, but you kind of know where the power settings are at uh, for final with uh, gear and flaps. I know that a lot of those guys on the seven three likes to, like to use flaps thirty uh, instead of forty. Um, so uh, gear down five miles, set your power. Gear down, set your full flaps, and uh, and on the Boeing's, I know it has a AOA. Unlike the uh, Airbus, doesn't have the uh, the AOA uh, showing there on your uh, PFD. Um, I don't know if they still had their their AOA showing. I don't know. Uh, the I don't believe the article said. I hadn't found anything else on it, but uh, that and uh, kudos to the crew for just uh, getting it on the ground. Yeah, yeah. The, the I saw the images from all the posts that you put on your your Facebook page there, Kyle. Um, the aviation information uh, business information board. Um, Man, that that's some significant damage, and and you could tell immediately that those were some big um, birds that that did that. And geese, I mean, that's like a turkey getting hit by. Can you imagine getting hit by a turkey? Not just one, but multiple turkeys. If that was like a small GA airplane, that would have been it. That would have been done. The fact that they were able to just continue and just go and land and do basically what their job was, and not let what had happened kind of affect them, you know, that they were still able to maintain their professionalism and composure and get down and, get down. you know, basically land and, and finish their flight and then worry about everything else just goes to show like that they were the ultimate professionals in that regard and that they managed to, I mean, those, those let's face it, those pictures look pretty nasty and I'm pretty sure the engine picture, uh, there's, there's probably some substantial damage in that engine. One of those board, one of those birds had to go through the core like that. You, you can't tell me that they didn't aviate, navigate, communicate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why the airplane? 
Know oh, your yeah. power settings. That's why they tell you guys uh, know your power settings wherever you're at uh, in flight because it, it could come down to that by loss of instruments, freezing up, uh, losing your pedo tubes in that instance, damage, uh, and just get it on the ground. Yeah. Oh, they did. They did exactly what they should have done, and just got it on the ground. And kudos to the fat crew. You know, recently we added a new segment to the show. A former guest of ours, Captain Keith, uh, has been traveling all over the world. He is a triple seven captain for Legacy Airlines, and he has been sending me updates on where he's been, everywhere from London, Miami, Istanbul, and just and beyond, and. He recently attended and was a headlining speaker at Eon Experience Fest 2022 in Istanbul, a game-changing strategy for aerospace. I'll put a link in the show notes for his YouTube video on what he presented. Also, uh, he's been sending me links on different events with uh, aircraft uh, from Legacy Airlines and beyond. Captain Keith recently sent in a video to the Squawk I Didn't podcast from his adventure layover in Athens, Greece. Let's listen in. Hello again, Squawk I Didn't friends. Captain Keith here. After two days off from my Frankfurt trip, I'm off again to Athens, Greece. Athens is a great city, and it's my first time uh, operating a flight in there. The Lever Hotel was the Devani Caravel Hotel in a nice part of Athens with a lovely rooftop bar. Perfect view of the city from that vantage point. So I started my layover with a little walk around the city. Lots of lovely cafes and restaurants. Uh, this was a Sunday, so a lot of things were closed. But I did find a first stop for coffee. Not too busy uh, afternoon when we got there. And then uh, continued walking around some more and found uh, an area that was uh, the Greek guards guarding one of the government buildings. And then took a stroll through the National Garden. Lots of people were out, some people with their dogs, mostly people with their children. It's a lovely day for a stroll through the park. You can see a lot of people on the bridge there that we're walking across. Lots of ponds and fish and turtles, things like that. And then I came upon the sundial, which uh, predates uh, Big Ben in London a little bit, but that's the Greek technology of the day. And uh, time looks pretty accurate for the time of year we're experiencing. A little further along, we're walking uh, past a collection of old cannon. And then we get to the area known as the Plaka. This is kind of the main tourist uh, shopping and restaurant zone. A lot of people out uh, on this Sunday. And of course, I had to stop and get a traditional Greek salad. Uh, there's no lettuce in a traditional Greek salad, so it was interesting uh, to have that. And uh, one of the streets, uh, you can see the top of the picture there, a view of the Acropolis on top of the hill and a little bit more of a walk through the town. A little bit of video to show you uh, what the foot traffic looks like. (laughs) 
closer view of uh, the base of the Acropolis. Didn't get a chance to uh, go up to it and go through it, but uh, I'll do that on another occasion. This is a restaurant very close to the base of the Acropolis. A lot of people uh, having lunch there. And lots of cats running around that are guarding the monuments. They don't seem to mind my presence. Uh, back at the hotel rooftop uh, pool bar for one more espresso before uh, heading off for dinner. And the lovely sunset over the Acropolis. That's my layover in Athens. Hope you enjoyed that and hope to see you here sometime soon. I just want to take a moment to say thank you very much to Captain Keith for keeping us updated on his travels and his layovers. Some really cool video. I'll do my best to soon put these videos up on our YouTube page for Squawk Ident. So keep that in mind. The best way to not miss a video is to go to YouTube, follow, and click on that bell on the YouTube channel at Squawk Ident Podcast. Is okay. Well, Mike, you know, we promised you some Q&As. Let's just ask you some really quick questions, and then we'll wrap it up for today. I know we're going a little long. Um, first off, uh, just want to, again, say thank you for, for joining us and sharing your story with us. Now you know what you know at 55 years old. Go back to when you were in your early 20s flying, building time wherever you could, being a hangar rat, and just doing stuff. What would you have done different? Oh, that's a fantastic question. It's tough to say because I, I really appreciate a lot of the things that have happened in my life, you know, my son and all those things, which they potentially wouldn't have happened. But pursuing aviation and continuing to push forward with it, that might, might have been the path. That might have been the path. I had a great path, but if somebody thinks that aviation is a passion for them, confirm it. You know, go do more discovery flights and, and things like that and fly with other people. And if it's your passion, don't give up. Just keep going. Just keep pushing. All right. Well, what's your biggest regret so far in, in this career path? I, honestly, I wish I had kept my logbook passionately accurate every time I flew. I took it for granted. It wasn't back when I owned my own airplane in my own place. I went and just you know, flew for 20, 30 minutes. I wasn't as detailed because I didn't think I was actually going to make this path. So anybody new that's listening, treat that logbook as it's your life story. Passionately guard it. Enter it in every day that you do something because it is your history. It's not just because important people are going to look at it when they're considering you for employment, but it's also something for you to look back on. Oh, remember when I did this and all of that, that, that is something I wish I had, had done in greater detail because it tells the big picture story. A lot of fun was had in, in, in the past and a lot of fun flying was done and that's your story. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. You actually reminded me of a, a film that I saw many years ago um, and I just I had to buy this DVD it was you know, DVD digital video disc <laughs> folks before streaming um, and, and I actually was playing it at the film school or at the, at the film school at the flight school that I taught at on a loop on the, all the monitors called One Six Right oh, and at the beginning of that film 
there's a an older pilot and he's talking about his logbook and he said that when he you know was filling out his logbook he's always logged everything and on the front cover he wrote a little poem to his logbook saying this is a love story and i remember watching that and thinking I'm never going to stop filling out this logbook. As a matter of fact, I'm often teased on the flight deck. Just yesterday, here I am filling out my logbook mm-hmm. for the day. And Cap was like, oh, you still filling that stuff out? You don't need to do that anymore. I stopped doing that 20 years ago. I'm like, no, sir. This is my love story. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Now, in all your years of flying... Has what has been the the greatest unseen hurdle that we have not yet experienced about your journey that you can tell us about? Meeting me. <laughs> That's a challenge. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of something that would be a good lesson, a good takeaway. Um. You're going to pay your dues one way or the other. I paid my dues in my IT career and all of the struggle and all of the many, many hours of things that I had to do, didn't want to do, bad pay, things like that. So if somebody's purely flying, don't be impatient and pay your dues that way. Yeah. Like If that makes sense. Yeah. You're going to pay them one way or another. Are you... That's right. You definitely paid them in your previous career. Yeah, I just paid the dues to get to a successful point to to pay for my own flying, but I still had to pay my dues to get to that level of success. Yeah. If you could go back to your younger self and just give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Just keep pushing forward. Don't give up. And always do things with professionalism and integrity. They matter. Yes, they do. Don't cut corners. Don't take the easy path. Well said. Absolutely well said. I got one more. One more question. Who would you say has been your biggest mentor slash influence to get you where you are today? doesn't have to just be one person. It can be, you know, a collective, but who, who's, cause Tony always preaches this, right? We're always thankful and use the other aviators to basically stand on their shoulders. We stand on the, avi- the aviator's shoulders who have gone before us. Right. So yep, who that's true. has been that person that has bumped you up, who is, who's given you that right piece of advice in this moment I, by name or just in concept it, it's a friend of mine that i've had for 30 plus years we were actually computer geeks together um it's not to, alex is it no it's not alex I'm, he's he's a recent he's, addition to my uh my motley band of friends mike mike could legally be my father Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Are you my daddy? <laughs> so if you're a friend you've known for 30 years. A friend I've known for 30 years. We were computer nerds together, and he's the one that I told you that went through and bought and sold different airplanes, and uh, he followed his passion, and he got into Eagle back, oh, when was that? Probably late 90s. 
got into it there and he rose up to the ranks there and he was you know, constantly sharing stories and things like that. And he's the one that, um, you know, I learned a lot from, and he's the one encouraged me to, to go through a regional 121 training program and just experience it, learn from it and become a better pilot. And so, yeah, I, I don't know that I would have done it without listening to his advice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's so important to do that. And I think it's important to ask those questions. Thank you, Alex, for, for asking that. Because it reminds us, as you mentioned, how I often say that you know, we stand on the shoulders of all those that lifted us up to be here, to get to, to, make, to reach our goals, to be here. Um, but it reminds us just to acknowledge that. And can you imagine sending, a, in this day and age, a text saying, how can, I, how can I ever repay you for what you've done for me? How that would make that other person feel. Um, thank you. For, for being a friend, for being a mentor, for being someone so, you're very important to me. I mean, we often wait until the holidays to send a Christmas card that says, Merry Christmas from the blah, blah, blah family with nothing else written. And that's fine. But can you imagine how much more you would cement the bond of friendship and love if you just take a moment and recognize all the people that have helped you attain your goals and, and your passion. It just takes a moment. And I'm often, I, I'm often reminded of the words of Robin Williams, who he once said in an interview, be kind to each other because you never truly know the battles the other person is fighting. So be kind. Realize there are a lot, a lot of amazing people out there to be grateful for. And a loving God. And that, other than that, good luck. That's what life is about. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us, Mike. Um, we really did appreciate your, your story, your feedback, um, you know, chatting with us about the industry and what the future can hold. It's actually very exciting. Um, I, if I came into the industry now instead of when I did, man, I think I'd be a lot more excited about moving forward and being uh, a lot less patient as I was because I knew I was uh, when I started <laughs> and I was like, okay, it's going to be a while. And when I got hired at Sandpiper, it was a 14-year upgrade at a regional. Ooh. Oh. Granted, Ouch. I upgraded in five and a half when I finally got to upgrade because of the bankruptcy season, all that what stuff. What was your initial pay rate? God, I think it was 28 Maybe, maybe 26 something like that for the first year and then it jumped to like 40 something um, which was not as low as some but definitely not six figures <laughs> I mean I could have yeah. easily been on food stamps single family uh, single earner of a family of three um, yeah and they actually put that in our manual I remember that year they put it in our manual do not show up for government subsidies and government <laughs> uh, program welfare programs in your pilot uniform because pilots were doing that just to prove a point yeah. we've come a long way ladies and gentlemen and be grateful yep absolutely well, I really do hope that all of you listeners out there enjoyed uh, listening to the show today. I want to thank Alex and Kyle for joining us today. A very special thank you to Mike Earhart for sharing his journey with us. And we hope that all of you out there enjoyed listening to the flight. Please pay it forward. 
by sharing this podcast with your friends and your family and even online on social media or TikTok or whatever you're doing out there. I have no idea. Make sure to subscribe and follow to the Squawk Out In podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. Yes, Spotify, Apple Music, and all the app around the podcast 2.0 apps out there. Um, they're, they're just fantastic. We also love receiving listener feedback. You can send us an email or even some audio feedback via our website at www.aviatortony.com. That's Alpha, Victor, the number eight, Romeo, Tango, Oscar, November, Yankee.com. Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram users can also find us under Squawk Ident Podcast. One final thank you to all of you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there. Be safe and take care of each other. See ya. See ya. Oh, man. Did I fly with you? <laughs> I, had a, I had a captain do that. That's when you take their picture or video and be like, if you ever do that again, I'm posting it. It's an entirely different kind of flying.